To, to doubt El Dandy. Hello everybody, my name is Rory McNamara. It's 1999, it's volume two, it's the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast, WCW. <laughs> volume one is WWF, that's got Mick Foley winning the world title and the 1999 Royal Rumble. Volume three is ECW, that's got the guiltiest charged pay-per-view. We have got <laughs> World Championship Wrestling, and if you are listening to this show, I don't really need to tell you what's in store, but you can... Enjoy or endure how we're going to break it all down for you over the next two and a half hours. And for this auspicious occasion, I have enlisted Mr. Eric Landstrom. Uh, I would say happy to be here, but happy to put this one behind us, I think. I chose you both advisedly. That includes you, Dan Welling. Yeah, parental advisory is required for this upcoming recording. Listen with the light on would be my advice. So, Eric, let's have the news headlines for what's been happening south of the Mason-Dixon line, or indeed <laughs> south of heaven in World Championship Wrestling in January of 1999. Real south, real, real south. Um, yeah, let's start with uh, giving the fans the finger. Very much so. You might remember when we were all a lot younger and less wizened around these parts, we talked about the first Nitro of 1999 featuring a rematch between Kevin Nash and Bill Goldberg in the Georgia Dome, where it all happened for Bill back in June. Didn't quite go down that way this time. The ultimate bait and switch, in which Goldberg spent most of the time in a jailhouse across the road. We'll explain, don't worry, we'll explain. Meant that Hulk Hogan, the paragon of virtue that he is, stepped into Goldberg's place. And he was going to wrestle for the very final time before continuing his presidential push against his old adversary, Kevin Nash. We got there. The bell rang. And with his pinky finger, 
Hulk Hogan knocks down Kevin Nash. What a bump he took. Three count pin. And that, my friends, was the end of the wrestling business as we came to know it. <laughs> we will pick over the bones a bit later on, but everything you have heard about the finger poke over the last 27 days, it's about to get a whole lot worse when we tell you exactly how it happened and why it happened. And before uh, we get to that, let's tell them about sold out of quality. And after all of that on free TV, we had wonders that we could actually pay for on the sold-out pay-per-view, which took place in the middle of the month, main evented by the increasingly hapless Bill Goldberg in a ladder-slash-taser match against Scott Hall. Mm -hmm. No Kevin Nash wrestling on the show. No Hulk Hogan wrestling on the show. 19-year-old non-wrestler David Flair, though, did wrestle on the show. Norman Smiley wrestled on the show for 16 minutes. And if you are still listening, in 60 minutes, we will break down that not very good pay-per-view for you as well. Never let it be said we don't know how to sell things here in the news section. Well, in fairness to David Flair, non-wrestlers Mike Enos and Van Hammer were also on the show too. So oh, he's far from alone. Uh, I know I'm not supposed to do commentary during news. I'm sorry. Um, beat him till July. Oh, I had that one all ready to go. Yes, beat until July are the reported <laughs> words. The reported words of one Eric Bischoff to the booking team in World Championship Wrestling, Kevin Sullivan, etc. Around one, Chris Jericho. We've been talking about this for a couple of months, but it looks as though he's just going to let his contract run down. Negotiations have stalled. It expires in July. All accounts show that he's going to be off to the World Wrestling Federation. Still going to be kept on television because not even WCW were that stupid. But expect to see him doing a lot of jobs between now and the summer. One person who did do a very high-profile job in the middle of January is the Giants. And contrary to what we said last month, we were right first time. He has left. He's gone. He's going to be turning up in the World Wrestling Federation as soon as their next pay-per-view on February the 14th. And it is, looks like an NBC special is off for WCW. Yes, Eric and I, we talked about this last month. The NBC special scheduled for February the 14th and March 28th. The dates of the St. Valentine's Day Massacre pay-per-view and something called WrestleMania. WCW are blaming the NBC specials for those dates being cancelled on the NBA lockout, which I now am an expert on. Thank you, Eric, <laughs> for being removed and the season back in situ. And they are convinced that there will still be six, count them, six NBC specials between now and the end of the year. They are telling everybody who will listen they have not been cancelled. They have merely been postponed. However, NBC's silence on this one speaks volumes, and the smart money is on those particular specials not happening. There are contingency plans afoot where the specials themselves will be airing on TNT, but let's face it, that's not really the same thing, is it? And Luger racked by controversy to bring us home. Yes, indeed. Um, he's turned heel on screen, and his behavior off screen is rather salty as well, the boy all the boy Luger, a fan filed a complaint with police against his conduct uh, right at the end of last year. Uh, found Kerry Wilson, aged 14, who was wheelchair-bound. Um, with her mother, she approached Luger before an event in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. At the spectrum, uh, young Kerry actually asked for his autograph. And Kerry's mother, and I quote, says Luger shot her a look of contempt that made a demeaning comment about her physical condition. This is coming directly from the PW Torch now. Kerry shot a comment back at Luger, so Luger gave her a rude gesture and entered the arena. 
Kerry's mother filed a complaint with local police who later questioned Luger. WCW management stated that Luger's actions were inappropriate, but said he was suffering from a stomach virus which rankled his demeanour. Well, that's okay then. <laughs> Fuck this company. We all need to remember that one, don't we? Yes. Yes. I mocked somebody in a wheelchair, but my stomach was hurting. There we go. Freedom of the city. So, yes, if you still want to carry on listening, ladies and gentlemen, after all of that, you can find all our past episodes all the way back to August 1993 when it was all fields around here on Spotify. Check us out on there. Of course, we are available on all other podcast providers. And if you want to donate to us on patreon.com forward slash wrestling 20 YRS, $1 will get you all the shows per month when they are ready to roll. You don't need to wait until the end of the month. $5 will give you special content, which we will talk about later on in the show. And before we start the breakdown, here are the ratings. Now, just to pick up from the end of last year, Nitro came very close to defeating Raw on the 28th of December. A 4.6 wasn't quite enough, though against Raw's 4.8. On January the 4th, and I think we all know why this was the case, Nitro pulled a 4.9, but Raw jumped all the way ahead to a 5.7. Helped by a certain announcer, no less. Raw were then remarkably consistent for the remainder of January, pulling 5.5s across the board. Nitro, though, hanging in there, 5, 4.4 and 5 respectively, but they just can't quite crack the ceiling, and it's not for the want of trying. Or maybe it is. Okay, then. It happened right at the start of the year. We can't delay it. I'm not going to drop any pleasantries. <laughs> There's going to be very, very few to talk about here. Let's do a live watch together, shall we, of the 4th of January, 1999, Monday Nitro, and all who sailed in it. Guys, are we ready? I'm going to need your help here. Okay, just don't let me go. That's encouraging. Thank you very much. Yeah. But <laughs> if, if I had a cricket sound effect, I would have inserted it. There. <laughs> <laughs> Makes note of cricket and a tumbleweed sound effect. Right. Okay. Let's get on with this. Fourth, <laughs> we can get it done sooner. Fourth of January, 1999, Monday Nitro from the Georgia Dome. Again, about 39, 40,000 in attendance. WCW hoped to break the million dollar barrier. Couldn't quite get there. But at the end of the three hours, I would say that is the least of their worries. So then, Nash versus Goldberg. It gets the black and white slow motion epic video package treatment. After all that, they wouldn't bait and switch on us, would they? Tony is here on commentary to tell us Hogan is here mm -hmm, to say thank you to his fans. Because, of course, he has totally retired, right? I should say throughout the show, we hear from Nitro Party winner Howard something or other. He uses every opportunity he can to rub in the fact that he and he is there and his nephew is not. That's nice. And what epic are we going to start the in-ring year with? Why? Glacier versus Hugh Morris, of course. It is indeed no laughing matter. So, along with his family and the horsemen, it's kind of the same thing these days, Ric Flair is introduced to a huge Georgia Dome welcome. For five years, this place has been run by a tyrant named Eric Bischoff, but now the new boss calls the shots. And his first act? to call out Bischoff to talk to the president. A stony-faced Eric emerges to receive his fate. The easiest thing to do would be telling him, see you later, but instead Flair wants to have a little bit of fun. He is sending Eric back to his roots, to the commentary table, and complete with his salary being cut in half. <laughs> I'm sure the commentary team liked being reminded of that fact. 
Bischoff has no choice but to comply. However, he says almost nothing all night. Flair then reinstates Randy Anderson, who was fired on screen almost exactly two years ago, to double the salary. And then, in one act of selfishness, he books himself in a handicap match against Wyndham and Hennig at Sold Out. But then his son David, who looks legitimately terrified, offers to be his partner. <laughs> Rick isn't sure, but Uncle Arn is. And the press says, OK. <laughs> he tells us all to have fun tonight, and I'm sure that will be easy. Let's get on with it. Booker wipes through Emery Hale. Norman Smiley beats Chavo Guerrero, I think. No, he loses. <laughs> Wrong match. No, that one was 60 minutes long. Norman Smiley, Chavo Guerrero, big wiggle. He gets rolled up for three, and he gets his heat back afterwards. Benoit gets the currently in the ring treatment of his match versus Horace Hogan, but he does at least win with the crossface. Okay. Okay. Now we go to the back where there is a commotion. By the way, this is like the eighth most important thing that happened on the show, too. It's great. <laughs> oh, someone's been counting. And it is Goldberg being told he has a warrant for his arrest. Whatever it is, I am innocent. Hmm. Crimes against the Actors Guild aside, I'm not so sure. He is then surrounded by cops, so it looks like he has no choice, despite, and I quote, standing for good in this community. He calls one of the policemen by his first name of Jack, but such friendliness ain't going to stop him being taken to the big house. As yet, we do not know what for. He gets put in a car, but Nash is not happy. As he remonstrates, one Hulk Hogan walks by on his way to the arena and says, if he's guilty, he's guilty. Why do I think there will be a whitewash in the Georgia Dome? <sighs> okay, let's start here. We'll be coming back to this later on, but just imagine it's January the 4th. It's the first big show of the year. You know you're getting Goldberg versus Nash. And instead, Eric, you get Goldberg versus acting. Uh, the acting thing I can I can forgive for Goldberg. It's, it's not, not his, his it's, it's not his it's not his fault. He shouldn't be put in this position. He's not a talker. He's barely a wrestler, but what he can do is look out, go out there and look menacing and be entertaining for 10 minutes or so. Putting Goldberg in this spot is is death to him and then <laughs> the best part is when he tries to grease up the old atlanta pd grease their palms <laughs> what a face right just yeah real ominous start to this three-hour saga the alarm bells are ringing already weren't they dan yeah absolutely i think it's just uh, if i was chilling into nature at this point i would have i would probably have already turned off because like you already know that the advertised main event is either not going to happen at all or it's going to be watered down in, in how important it is because there's no chance in hell that Goldberg is going to be released from prison and get back into the stadium to get changed and get his wrestling gear on and get a match because this is not possible. So I would have already felt duped out of tuning into this show. Uh, but at least it gave me some comedy. Go on. <laughs> you, you were laughing? Goldberg's acting. Is, have, you, have you seen <laughs> Tommy Wiseau? <laughs> <Yes. laughs> That's actually not the worst acting we see here. Go on, Eric. I was just going to say, the way that my thought here was, okay, at least they're going to save this by putting somebody, by integrating somebody with, with some chops. I don't know who that is. Maybe Nash, maybe 
I don't know, integrate somebody with some chops if they're going to do all these backstage vignettes to to build this up a little bit. They they zigged where I would have zagged here by bringing in Liz, which we'll talk about later. No, that not, was... Chris, not Chris Benoit. Chops, yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh okay. I'm, I'm glad oh. you explained that one. <laughs> That's good. It's going to oh, be one of these shows, I see. I've, I've got my hands full of you guys today. We've got... Slam 98, here we go. <laughs> oh, we've, got, we've got to make this enjoyable somehow, because the product certainly didn't do its job on that front. True. I could have picked anybody to be on this show. Goldberg's acting chops. I mean, they remind me of... I mean, there is shaky video camera footage out there of me, aged five, in 1987, you know, playing Joseph in the Nativity play. Uh, I would say even I had a better handle on my character than Goldberg does here. It's, <laughs> and you wouldn't want to see me saying that, but there is no room at the inn. They are saying to us, Mary, <laughs> I am standing for good in this community. There's actually very little difference when you break it down. But we shall be coming back to Lawrence Olivier before too long. After Saturn versus Jericho, we get a funny line from Tony to Bischoff on the latter's silence. This will not look good at your next review. <laughs> If only that was the best line I could remember. If that was Tony's most memorable line of the night, I'd be happy. But uh, there's worse. Yeah. Much, much worse. Jericho pulls Scott Dickinson into Saturn's path. And when he comes to, he calls for the bell and awards the Lionheart for the EQ win. So we are back at the police station across the street. Remember that. We learn that Goldberg is under arrest for aggravated stalking against one Elizabeth Lubetsky who Jack then actually calls Miss Elizabeth just to smash any believability here whatsoever. Amusingly, this scene is then followed by an advertisement for, oh yes, a Nitro Girls calendar. <laughs> product placement, product placement. We have to give Goldberg a modicum of credit here, guys, because the original plan was for him to be arrested for raping Elizabeth. And he put the x on that one straight away. And To, to his credit, let's... let's it does even somebody in Bill Goldberg's status in the company? He might have thought, "Well, no, there are there might still be people above me. Do I, maybe I go along with what these idiots are telling me?" No, he put his foot down. The end result was still the same, but I would not want to be seeing a freaking rape angle on my entertainment show, anyway, shape or form. We're going to come back to this in a second. Precisely, <laughs> we now see Liz being interviewed. Apparently, Goldberg follows her everywhere arenas hotels and gyms uh something very different now here is an lwo party which i should say was pre-taped a few days ago uh, eddie guerrero is the star of the show he was actually involved in a car crash on either new year's eve or new year's day depending on the reports uh, you read uh, it's going to be out of action for about three or four months as a result and it's one of those where if he hadn't been wearing his seatbelt. Uh, well, sorry i should say the, the final report is that he wasn't wearing his seatbelt. if he had been it's a distinct possibility that he might well have been in an even worse way than he was. He was thrown 100 feet and had a fairly soft landing, they say. But um, he's going to be away for three or four months. Get well soon, Eddie. But this was just an example of how brilliant he is. We know his skills in the ring, but his character work is right up there too. He is ready in this uh, video clip to show the Mamacitas a good time. He is the Vato Laco, whatever that means. And when he promises the girls the world, he will give it to them. He treats the rest of the crew badly including demoting Damien and Dandy to soda duty. And he, and only he, gets to leave the chance at the end. Uh, Eric, let's talk quickly about this. Uh, get well soon, Eddie, because we're going to miss him. 
Yeah, I think this is just going to be a noticeable blow to WCW's undercard. Uh, Eddie's been a pretty solid hand for the better part of two or three years now. Gosh, it feels like he just came around yesterday, but then I realized that he's been around since late 95. Is that right? Absolutely. Gosh. So, yeah, I mean, it's going to be a real a real blow, and I feel like this LWO thing got it, – it's only going to hurt them long term, but I feel like in the short term this LWO thing got torn apart kind of awkwardly and clunk, in a clunky way, and it's going to leave a lot of these guys – they're still going to be in the same matches on Nitro going five minutes to no, you know, to no finish or to whatever finish. But it's going to leave a lot of these, you know, lower mid-card cruiserweight guys with a little bit uh, less direction than they had before. And it was too bad because it seemed like at least they were able to be kind of quarantined and given something to do as opposed to just being, you know, generic, slightly above job guy uh, names. Yeah, I think... That the LWO thing, the original plan was for it to run a bit longer, but it was clearly a vehicle for Eddie, and now he's going to be out for a while, but just decided to end it very, very quickly and very awkwardly with that scene with them all just taking the shirts off this month on Nitro. Uh, Dan, no Eddie for four months, and the week-to-week of Nitro being what it is anyway, that leaves quite the hole. Yeah, there's we're losing a tier workers here by the bucket. I mean, we had at one point Benoit, Malenko, Ray, and Eddie all firing on all cylinders, and now Dean is is, is kind of slowing down. Eddie's gone now for three or four months, and mate, and what always take a while to get back into proper, you know, A grade working ability after his ring rust. And now it's really down to Benoit because Ray seems to be just kind of packaged alongside these. He's the cruiserweights when at one point he looked like he was going to have a little bit of a breakout moment. And yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're losing a guy here that is probably the best all round worker they've got with charisma and in ring ability. And even if he's lower mid card or mid card, that's still a huge blow for your week to week programming. Um, but yeah, just, just get well soon, Eddie. I think we're going to miss him all for a while. And, uh, Hopefully the the guys like Hooven Sued even more so in Psychosis and these guys can step up even more, Kyle, because there's a spot on the card free. And so say all of us. Speaking of which, Hooby teamed up with Psychosis against Kidman and Ray in the match held under Tornado rules. It was fun, but the finisher here, in my view, was poorly realised. Kidman was meant to accidentally dropkick Ray, but for me it looked a bit messy. The masked man hits the big leg drop to secure the win. Back to Goldberg. He might well have seen Lizard the Jim, the one he owns. <laughs> and we credited Goldberg for nixing the original angle earlier. I'm going to give him props for his words here. I can't believe how ridiculous this is. Yeah, I really hope he went off script with that one. We're back in the ring with Kevin Nash. He says Goldberg got screwed at Starcade, and now he thinks the same is happening today. It doesn't take Clouseau to know who's behind this. And it's you, Hogan. So Nash wants Hulk tonight. Call it a warm-up because he will face Goldberg straight afterwards. Mm. Flair emerges and grants Nash his wish. Oh, idiot. Yeah. Idiot face Flair. <laughs> He'll never learn. <laughs> Sting fire, like fire, fire Bischoff and tell Hogan to hit the, hit the road. It's all there. It's all there. We talk about Flair being too generous and boy, did he prove it here. Back to the station, where Liz is once again not getting her story straight, including being at the Coke machine and getting a diet Pepsi. I tell you what, this is, you know, this is, you know, <laughs> Poirot himself would not be 
<laughs> working this stuff out. But now here is Gene with the Hulkster. He was originally only here to say a final goodbye to his fans. Oh, and choose his running mate. Yet instead, we have negative momentum. <laughs> I should laugh at this. Thanks to that sexual deviant Goldberg. I popped for that. <laughs> God. And he is also not happy with the actions of that spoon, Kevin Nash, and him suggesting Hogan retired because he is scared of Big Sexy. Tonight, Hollywood, the big bad wolf, oh, sweet fucking God, will take the world title. Okay, okay. Just as I was reeling from that, we get from our lead commentator this. If you're even thinking about changing the channel to our competition, fans do not. Dan. Dan Welling. Hello, Rory. Right. <laughs> Thanks for sticking oh, with me. Oh, fuck's sake. Uh, Tony We've been <laughs> on him on this show, and I think with good reason, his calling of moves can be a bit spotty. He's a little bit cheeseball and eager to please sometimes. But on the whole, I think he is a good announcer. He's the voice of WCW, and I don't think he gets enough credit for that. He's established in a good way. I like him but pun intended these words about mick foley discuss the unbridled arrogance of this company to think that like the guy who wrestled here as cactus jack and was a you know perennial mid-carder is going to be like this for his entire run in the company like surely they must have seen what this man has been doing for the last three years in their rival promotion and how much how endearing he is to the public and how much that no matter even if you haven't seen any of the wwf programming that this is something that people will want to see because he is someone that is just impossible to not like in a if you're a wrestling fan so even if I don't care about what's going on in WWF, yeah, I'll, I'll pop it over and see what's going on here because this is this is Mick Foley winning the world title. Yeah, it's just arrogant that they would think that Mick Foley doesn't matter in comparison to Big Bad Wolf Hulk Hogan and Kevin Nash and, and Goldberg. Well, in particular Nash and Hogan because these guys have been, quote, top stars for you know 10 years now so clearly they're more important than mick foley he's a joke you know he's just wrestled here as cactus jackson years ago and he's an afterthought arrogance personified and i'm so happy that they completely screwed over you know their ratings thing for this because it's 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 schadenfreude of the highest degree for me because they got what they deserved with this whole debacle of a decision to do this Apparently, at least 600,000 people changed the channel over to Raw as soon as those words were uttered. Well done, guys. Really well done. Eric, apparently, this was Bischoff's idea. I don't know I'm... if that exonerates Shivani any, but whoever it was, just the ultimate cheap shot, and it backfired. 
I'm really glad you led into me with that because I had this whole windup about my fear with this. I really like Tony Schiavone. I think in the last year or so, some of that spark has started to dwindle a little bit. But I think Tony Schiavone is for as for as properly rated, or maybe even a little overrated now as Jim Ross is. I think Tony Schiavone is super underrated. I mean, he's clearly the second best wrestling announcer in the world. Oh, that is a that is not an easy job. He's he's people love Joey Styles. He's leaps and bu- leaps and bounds above Joey Styles. I mean, this guy correct commentates three hours and now five hours plus a pay per view. You know constantly and that's just such a large workload for him to do and he's saddled with heenan and zabisco who are both you know heenan especially is past his prime zabisco as our friend jeff parker would say spends a little too much time trying to get himself over and doesn't really always contribute to the show as much as he could so whereas king and jr have really good interplay so shivani has a much greater burden i would say than even jim ross does from a television standpoint the other thing is there's no way in hell that Tony Schiavone just sua sponte decided, I'm going to say this. He was absolutely told to say it. He may not have been told exactly what to say. Maybe he was. I mean, in storyline, Bischoff was sitting right there, right? So like he could have been, he could have written this out note for note on a piece of paper and slid it to him and said, here, say this, I'm your boss. And we know Mm -hmm. Bischoff isn't always, you know, the, the Pollyanna princess to work for all the time. So what's Schiavone going to do? Right. So it'd be like, if Vince McMahon told, tells Jim Ross to say something, you know, I don't think we're as mad at Jim Ross, but for whatever reason, people seem to really like to pile on Shivani. And this is a, this is going to be an opportunity. I feel like for those people who already don't like him or already soured by WCW and are therefore soured by, you know, the voice of Shivani to further pile on him. This is Bischoff. And this might even, you know, be above Bischoff and raw was pre-taped. So this was super planned out ahead of time and they did it you know so arrogantly and so the hubris is is this whole show is just hubris but it's not shivani it's bischoff it's management and so let's not lose focus here shivani said it but you know we don't you know we don't kill messengers anymore he was doing a job that he was told to do and probably feared if he didn't he would get fired so let's um let's put uh, bischoff the the producer needs to be the one under the microscope here i think yep shivani had it bad enough 10 years ago when Jesse Ventura told him that you're even dumber than Monsoon mm-hmm. during SummerSlam 89, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't get it with that. I don't get it. Shivani's good. Shivani has go- always been good. There are, listen, yes, there are things you can criticize him for things you should criticize him for. Nobody is above criticism in the wrestling business, apart from some of our favorites, but we'll talk about them another day <laughs> on another show. <laughs> about, 10 minutes, about 10 minutes from now. Welling said it best, and I, I just think it needs to be restated so it can be hammered home. The hubris and the arrogance of this company is what is what has turned the corner from being something that was must-watch television to something that just insults its viewers over and over again. Christ, I feel like I've been saying this since like late 97. It's true. And this is just smacking you over the head. This isn't like in September, October 1995, you know, McMichael on commentary saying, we don't do it raw here, baby. You know, just a minor shot like that. This is explicit. This is it. On the other channel, our competition are having Mick Foley win their world title. Now, they couldn't make it any clearer. This isn't Bischoff saying, you know, 
Yoko goes over somebody in a handicap match. It's not even Sean beats the big guy with a super kick, green belt, YMCA. This is the biggest one they've ever done. And they're firing upwards to do it. Now, they're fighting a losing battle. They haven't won a ratings war since the end of October. And even that was when they aired the pay-per-view match the night before on free TV. They are in no position to do this. But even if they were, that would not exonerate them. Yes, we all love Foley on this show. Just listen to volume one. You know, one of one of the greatest moments, probably the for me the greatest moment since we started this project. And you'll be able to hear me oh. and Bob oh, <laughs> me and Bob and Adam tell you why if you haven't already listened to volume one. Or if you're gonna press stop on this one and switch over to the competition, which is volume one for our six hundred thousand listeners doing so. <laughs> <laughs> I just had to drop that one in there. We're close, we're close. So, yeah, so it's a light month. <laughs> it's January. <laughs> what else has anyone got to do? Yeah, this was Bischoff. This was WCW. I don't blame Shivani at all. He will forever be associated with this, I think. No matter what he does in the rest of his career, he will be the guy who dismissively said that Mick Foley is winning the WWF title and caused 600,000. But it's not his fault. It's his boss. As you say, Eric, Bischoff, did Bischoff think of it five seconds before? Has he been planning this? For the six days that he knew this was happening. I don't know. It doesn't make it right either way. It's Bischoff. It's... Who knows? Maybe it's even the very, very head himself. I don't know. But it's not Schiavone. I don't want him to get the blame for this. He already has. It's WCW's fault for just... You've used the word. I'll use it again. Hubris. I'm going to ask another question now. We know the response to this. Everyone thinking, oh my God, how could they possibly do that? Let's watch Mick Foley win the title. Okay. What do we think that WCW or Eric Bischoff in this case actually wanted people to think? Did they think that everybody watching was going to laugh along with them and think, ha, Mick Foley, world champion, I'm sticking with Hogan the Big Bad Wolf? I'm not so sure about that. And uh, it absolutely came back to bite them in more ways than one. Ultimately, this is short term, a terrible, terrible night for Nitro in terms oh, of the yes. ratings. But there's something that happens here that is going to potentially long-term adverse effects on their fan base, which I think is even 10 times more disastrous. Yeah, let's not forget that they made a terrible decision and then compounded it by making their viewers that they had temporarily lost not want to come back. Yeah, if this, if this was, if they just went ahead and just did Goldberg versus Kevin Nash and they did, and they said, let's go and put some butts in the seats, I'm not sure that they would, they would have obviously had a lot of viewers leave, but I'm not sure it would have been that many. That's fair. Compared to um, fair. what we actually got in the main event. It's all about context in this world. Oh boy, we got <laughs> too much fucking context in about five minutes. Conan has another go at Scott Steiner. It should be said at this point, Tony actually laughs at Foley winning the title again. Uh, mm. uh, must have been a big part of paper. Buff is in for the cheap DQ and then Big Popper Pump locks on the recliner. Roth offers up an open challenge and Bam Bam answers the call. This is a fun scrap, which goes to a double count out. They continue brawling all the way to the back. Okay, we're getting to brass tacks now back at the station. We see Liz's case fall apart. All the wrestlers go to that hotel. And Jim. And oh yes, they all use that <laughs> coke machine. Oh, fuck it out. Who the fuck wrote this? You know, this is a, <laughs> this, are you all right? This is a year seven drama class stuff. They all use the same Coke machine. 
by Coke. Then, yeah, okay. <laughs> ah, ah, now well, I they're get it. In, they're in Atlanta, so, you know. <laughs> now I get it. She then gets told in no uncertain terms that wasting police time is a felony. So she suddenly then gets all apologetic. And this is a nice little inside jab. Well, there are a lot of bold-headed wrestlers around. Yes, I popped. <laughs> I popped. DDP sees the Brian Adams with a diamond cutter off the top. We now go back to Goldberg, who is literally banging his head against the wall. I know the feeling. But he is now told he is free to go. Get me to the dome, he says. Can he get there in time? <laughs> Would he really want to? Okay, so after all the usual buffer stuff, here we are. Hogan with Steiner, Nash with Hall for the world title. And Tony again. <laughs> Sorry, Tony, I'm bagging on you too much here. This is what pro wrestling is all about. Let's test our supposition, shall we? Listen to this. What was that about? Did that make any sense to you? <laughs> you really had to see it to believe it. So the bell rings, and Nash and Hogan do their circling thing. Circle a bit more. Circle a bit more. Ooh, they're going for a Broadway. Not quite. Hogan, in teases the punch, holds back, and then finger pokes Kevin Nash in the chest. Kevin Nash takes a bump for like of which we've never seen him take before, and probably never will take again. That gets a few laughs in the audience. Hogan then goes for the quick cover. The ref bends to count. He's counted one, and he's, and then he's counted two, and he's counted three. Okay, and the bell has just rung again, and now the two warring NWO factions are in the ring, and they're jumping around celebrating, and oh, no. No, 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 no. They, 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 they haven't done this. They, they, they haven't done this. No, I'm sorry. This is, you know, it's Christmas, New Year hangover stuff. Fourth of January. It hasn't cleared yet. It's just, this, this, this hasn't happened. This is just, well, hang on. If, if I think I saw that, and Eric, you think you saw that, and Dan, you think you saw that, then, oh no, this, this actually happened. They actually had a world title change on a finger poke. And I didn't make this bit up either. Goldberg just about makes it in time from a police station across the street. And he's getting beaten down. And now there's Lex Luger to turn heel on him. Yeah. Uh, fever dream. Fever dream. Oh, fuck. It happened, didn't it, Dan? It happened. It happened, Roy, and 40,000 people in Goldberg's hometown saw it too. I'm not at the acceptance stage. Fuck it, I'm not. <laughs> I'm still at, I don't think I'll ever leave stage one. Just describe to... Oh, just please. While, yeah. I, while, while I just... You take the lead. <laughs> <laughs> fuck this company. Just <laughs> fuck this company. Good night, folks. Yeah. <laughs> Why... I'm I'm so fucking tired of this. I'm tired of that bald bastard being on top of the company again for what after the f what seems like third year in a row that he's been the world champion. I'm tired of Kevin Nash not giving 
any semblance of a fuck about anything and deciding that in kayfabe and reality that this is my my big rival the man that i've been feuding with for the entire year on and off ah sorry i'm just gonna just get i'm just gonna give him the belt this that, that makes no sense why would he have you know gone for all of this to beat goldberg and end the streak just to give the belt back to hulk hogan a week and a half after winning it like even the backstage politica kevin nash why would he do that because he's now finally got the belt that he's been working towards unless it is because he doesn't give a fuck he doesn't want to be the main man because it means he has to work for it let hulk hogan take the flack for all this i'm tired of when the baby faces in wcw need it the most the booking committee always screws them over rick flair sting in 97 98 and now goldberg he's lost his streak he's fighting the man who beat him in his hometown in front of 40,000 fans that have come to see him and only him and he's not even on the show and he's on the show and he gets beaten down doesn't even it is he isn't even allowed to look strong he gets beaten down into a pulp and gets no offense in at all he's cooked you know we've we talked about him losing the streak and it's all right we we can have him you know do a do a storyline where he can regain the belt after you know months of kind of rebuilding himself and he's cooked already He's cooked already, and there's no way on earth that WSW here have a have a hotbed of a crowd. 40,000 people will co- go to this arena like that, go and see him win. And now they won't do that ever again because they went there last time and they fucked over our babyface, our top babyface, and he got nothing. But what more, what more in this short-termism? That, what is the thinking here? Why would you do this? The only reasoning I can have found is that there's been no focus on the NWO. But it's the same old fuckers. It's the same old fuckers we've had for two and a half years of them looking unbeatable. And when we finally got Goldberg, who was the main man for six months, he wasn't even at the top of the card because it was still Hulk Hogan and Kevin Nash and the whole NWO versus Wolfpack thing. And it's still going on. And I'm so tired of it. My fear that it has only just begun. Eric, start anywhere you want on this. <laughs> end anywhere you want. There's no right, well, there's definitely no right answer. But uh, go on, just say say your piece and take as long as you feel you need to. <laughs> That's a dangerous proposition. Um, <laughs> Dan, you're cooking with... Uh, with all burners today because you keep saying things that trigger things that I hadn't even really thought about. I think it's easy to, what my thoughts were was that it's easy to criticize this from a booking perspective. It's insulting to the world title. It's insulting to the fans. It's more Hogan. It's more NWO bullshit, but really it's so symbolic that this decision was made on to occur on this show on the same night where, Foley was winning the title and where things were happening on raw that five, six, seven hundred thousand people switched over to see. 
you look at the WWF one year ago, and it had no depth, and it had Austin, who hadn't, who was right on the precipice, but hadn't really broken out yet, like he would after Tyson and Michaels. And then you had Undertaker and Shawn Michaels, and that was pretty much the top of the card. I might be omitting a couple of people here and there, but not really. You look at the WWF now in 1999 and you look at the top of the card well you still have austin and you still have undertaker but you also now have mick foley the rock and these stars that are kind of coming out and burgeoning and 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 are new and fresh and what does wcw have in 1997 1998 1999 hulk hogan is the world champion the nwo ruining matches and finishes and running roughshod, and making WCW look pitiful. So on one channel, you have a company, and if you go back into 97 even, a company that you can see clear progression with every year, adapting to the times, catching up from being in the doldrums of you know the post-Hogan era. In WCW, you have a company grasping to stoke this, this temporary flame that it had in, into a new a new era. And so we have one company has been stagnant and trying to repeat things every six months or year for three or four years now. And you have the WWF that has been consistently reinventing itself every year since this whole Monday night war, Monday night battle began. And now you see the fruits of this happening where we're just sick of it. And it's not even the way it was booked. It is because that adds a whole other insulting layer to this whole thing. But it's the fact that WCW is just going back to what had worked and has ever since been given, giving out diminishing returns. Hogan is the last guy that anybody wanted to see as champion. We wanted to see Goldberg. We wanted to see Nash if Goldberg was going to get the belt back. We wanted to see new guys, new storylines, you know, a semi-face or a tweener NWO Wolfpack. That was kind of cool. It was still NWO, but, you know, it's kind of a cool, like, DX-adjacent group. And now you just have the same old NWO with the same old guys that don't want to work or that people don't want to see work on top, and you have pitiful WCW. To me, the finger poke is a bad, bad decision, but where WCW put itself back, where they brought themselves back to in terms of whose position where on the card is far more concerning now because the cavern between the two companies in terms of creativity, in terms of storytelling, in terms of risk-taking, that's the biggest difference right now to me. And the other thing that Eric, I want to patch off on there is that you've got guys here in WCW that could instantly veto any fresh idea that a booker or a producer might come up with because it would mean that they would lose their spot. And Austin has some clout, obviously, but he doesn't have anything close to what the big boys in the NWO have. So there has to be some blame on them too, because Hogan, for all we know, could have gone on January 3rd. Uh, I quite fancy having the belt again now that Goldberg's lost it. Uh, Man, if we work an angle so that we, I could get the belt back, and they got no choice because right. they have to honor his creative control card. Uh, so even if WCW wanted to make, I don't know, you know, Mike Enos the, the ball champion, they couldn't because all of the people in that locker room 
One person could say no and they have to say, fine, we'll do it your way, Terry. I, I, and I think it's just, you have this episode, this three-hour episode of Nitro that basically contains more stuff than like World Class or AWA would have in a year. So they're hot-shotting so many of these angles and so many of these storylines, and they're just trying to be so swervy and so reactionary to everything instead of just having a plan and working towards it and modifying it, tweaking it as you go, but still sticking to that plan. And it's like, and then you have Luger turn at the end after all this other stuff has already happened. And then it's like, what now? Now we have another thing. Luger has turned for what turned out to be very little reason. I don't know if it was thoroughly ever explained and it was kind of supposed to be a swerve in itself. And it's like, Jesus, just if you're going to do all this stuff, spread it out and have some goals in mind. Don't just hit me with this buckshot booking at the end of the day. I'm like, God, everything happened, but we're in the same exact spot. Nothing's working towards anything. Fantastic points from you both as ever. See, I knew you'd like being on the on this particular version of the show. <laughs> I was doing it's it as a fa- it's a favor to you both. Thing. <laughs> it's a favor to you both. Okay, a couple of things just to pick up on in this sorry, sorry state of affairs. The physical finger poke, first off. Of course, it was dreadful. It was demeaning, it was disgusting, it was disrespectful. It was many other D's as well. However, let's not lose sight of this. Hulk Hogan winning the title by poking Kevin Nash in the chest. That is the symptom of WCW's problems. It is not a cause. The cause is the bold bastard himself, if you will let me use that one, Mr. Wellen. (laughs) It's quite all encapsulating that particular description, so there we are. And this sort of thing has been happening in various forms ever since that twat got the ticker tape treatment back in June 1994. By all accounts, what you say, Dan, that Hogan just fancied winning the title on January 3rd, from what we know so far from reading through the sheets, that's, yeah, that's pretty much how it happened. I was joking that's when I said that. Pretty much how it happened by all accounts. And even Nash, even Nash, oh, he knows his place. I agree with what you say. He probably sees it as a bit of a kindness in its own right, but that don't work for me, brother, but this does. This would have been just as bad if you had had Hogan winning the title in, God forbid, a straight-up mash against Kevin Nash. Maybe with the ending in five seconds, we don't know how lucky we were, or maybe we do. That's really the problem. Don't lose sight of what has actually happened here and what this means. And we were reminded all too clearly at the very end, Bill Goldberg... Two hours after being accused of aggravated assault in his hometown, beaten down, handcuffed. And you see that camera shot. Hogan, Nash, Hall, Steiner, Bagwell. You see all of those just disgusting creatures in that moment, just mugging for the camera, just looking grotesque and gruesome. Whilst on the other channel, you've got a guy who everybody loves wearing a ripped shirt, pumping the belt up and down, doing a lap of honour and dedicating it to his kids. Uh, That is the ultimate juxtaposition, is it not? What pro wrestling can do on one side 
and what so often it does do wrongly on the other side. And that is the real issue here, let alone a world title match ending in 20 seconds after a finger poke, not even considering the fact that you have just negated nearly a year, almost two years of storyline with the whole NWO black and white Wolfpack thing. It goes all the way back to April 97 when you first had the Nash and Hogan tensions. All of that, zip, all friends again now. Because Terry Boy fancied another tilt at the title. Didn't matter how he got there, who he screwed to get there, who looks stupid getting there. Doesn't matter. He's got what he wanted. And what's the end game? Him be Flair again? That's all that this was about? Uh, Bill Goldberg's ascent is just leading to him, we'll talk about this shortly, a taser ladder match with Scott Hall, or Hogan gets the month off ready to fight Flair for the 648th time on pay-per-view. That's why we watch week after week. That's the end game for all of this. Oh, God, I feel like such a fucking mug putting myself through this week after month after year. But, hey, hey, do you really think Hogan's bothered? The big bad wolf indeed. Maybe he really is onto something there. Disgusting, despicable. Goldberg looks like a plank. One thing I really want to mention here as well. The letters pages of the Torchity Observer lit up. They reacted in pretty much the same way as you did. Dan, you did, Eric, and I did, and I'm sure most people listening to. I find it quite interesting that some of Messrs Keller and Meltzer seem to be in the let it play out and see where it goes mode on this one. You would think that they would be absolutely spitting rage for whatever reason they weren't. Maybe they really know what's coming down the pipe. <laughs> and maybe this will appear small small beer compared to what might be happening. I can't begin to imagine what kind of horror that would be. But Eric, just to sum up, this was the wrestling business itself just turning around to its fans and saying, ha ha, we got you. Don't you feel stupid for bothering to care about this stuff? Because that's how I felt. Yeah. This could be mitigated if it plays out well and uh, there's a decent payoff, but it's still not going to lessen the idiocy of the, of the decision itself and credit to, you know, Melton Keller for, giving WCW any credit for long-term booking payoff because other than Ric Flair 93, when has that happened in the last 10 years in this company? Low and not get the NWO era out of, out of your brain. When has WCW ever paid something off properly? Uh, yeah. The, the silence speaks volumes. Yeah. That was it. Flair Star, Starcade 93. That was it. Even Goldberg winning the title last year happened very, very quickly. And you know as well as I do, he ain't getting that moment again. That was it, brother. Uh, this is this is not going to end with Hogan laying down for Goldberg a second time. Uh-uh-uh. Is it, Dan? No, absolutely not. Because long-term booking in WCW not even, not even not only doesn't exist, but can't exist. Because there's so many people with creative control on the metaphorical good side of the wall and bad side of the wall, that someone can just decide to do something and they have to do it. So even if like Wade and, and Dave are going, oh, well, they could, this could work in maybe three or four months time after the good angle. No, they can't because there's too many factors at play here. And they're all in for themselves as we've cleanly seen this month. So it can't work. So yeah, like, 
spoiler the, the episodes of nitro after this are actually kind of half decent and and it kind of builds successfully to a, a decent program but how like i can list off about five different items that have been completely mangled that should have been huge you know era defining moments for this company and they would never work because of the whims of the talent not strong enough producers and not the matches and the workers themselves don't lend themselves to having payoffs so it's all well and good saying that let this play out and see what happens but it won't happen history a definition of insanity here you know doing the same thing over and over again is not going to work and expecting things to change is not going to work because we've seen this for the last two years with the nwo on top this is a heel-led promotion unlike the competition and ultimately if you do that for long enough the fans are going to say sod it i don't want to see my heroes get beat down every single week and every single month and even if they do prevail they're going to lose the belt again, maybe one or two months down the line. I'll go and watch the other competition or worse, stop watching wrestling. Right now, Dan, that's not looking the worst proposition in the world. But, um, you know, we are charged with these particular tasks. And even if everybody else did wisely turn off or just stay tuned to the USA Network, we must press on. But everybody, Ooh. remember, yeah, yeah, go, uh, anybody go on? No, just <laughs> you know, e ECW's, of, ECW's there. Yeah, they, no, their pay-per-view stuck too. Oh. <laughs> Don't let Lacey hear you say that. That's See? good. <laughs> I should say Hogan as the third man was a pretty good payoff too. Oh, it was at the time, but now look what it's led to. Yeah, now it's become an anchor more than anything. Yeah, walk I did say two years. That was two and a half years. Yeah. Walk, walk, walk a mile in my shoes, brother, and all that. But yeah, there's no, there's no end to this. If Hogan keeps on wanting to do this, it's going to keep on happening. I don't even think there's going to be a uh, even a chink of light at the end of the tunnel now. We had that at the Georgia Dome last year. This is it until Hogan decides to give it up. And when he's got Bischoff tickling his tummy at a whim, that isn't changing any time. The boss opens us up in Knoxville on the 11th. He reinstates J.J. Dillon and tells Hogan his first title defence will be at Super Brawl. Only we don't yet know who against. We also have a main event for the pay-per-view, which is actually coming up. Yes, it's a ladder match between Goldberg and Hall, where the winner has to grab a stun gun. He then brings out the LWO and intimates the NWO might have had something to do with Eddie's real injury and tells them they will get the money, cars and women they want as long as they all remove their shirts. Everybody bar Ray does... Owen Flair then books, his words, himself against Kurt Hennig. Do we really need Cat versus Saturn again? At least we wait it out to discover that Jericho wants a match with Saturn at the pay-per-view. And if Chris wins, Perry has to wear a dress forever. And he, he ends the match with a shovel shot. And of course, Dickerson disqualifies Saturn. We then see a long pre-tape, which eventually gets to the point. Flair has made Bischoff a member of the ring crew. Throughout the show, we see him doing everything that Klondike Bill asks. Everything except make a chair. Now Gene talks to Charvo, and we all get to sing happy birthday to Pepe, until Norman and his mid-Atlantic accent pop in. And after feigning friendship, he beats up Guerrero, who goes through the cake. 
Norman then rides Pepe to the outside and puts him in a shredder. We wrestle. And now it's time to debut Sandman. Sorry, Jim, as he plays backgammon with Raven before Scotty gets told to tidy his room by his mother. Spoiler, this episode does not halt the rating slide. Hogan and co comes to the ring with the Hells Angels. <laughs> he tells us that they are his backup. He'll fight anyone in the WCW on any night, and he is still on the president trip as well, by the way. And later, Big Sexy will show us why he is the Giants. Oh, and Steiner wants to shag Kimberly Page. Ray versus Kaz ends quickly when Luca beats them both up. <sighs> and then when Conan tries to help, Nash and Co lead a beatdown, plus Taser. Thankfully, I was still sighing anyway. Here's the Giant for a word. Tonight he will prove he is the one true immortal Giant against Nash. He also no longer cares about his spot in the MWO, which is probably just as well. Booker does for Lenny Lane with a sidekick. Steiner DDP is next. The goons waffle Page with a chair, and then Steiner locks on the recliner for the tainted win. But at least Vincent got a diamond cutter. Sit down with Goldberg now. Everybody makes mistakes, but people who rise above learn from them. He was wrong to think his match versus Nash was going to be a fair fight. That night, he had an education, and that mistake will never happen again. So it's Hall versus Bigelow now. Roth shows Bam Bam off, and Disco, yes he's still trying, is able to slip Hall with Taser to allow the NWO man to secure the win. So here's Flair against Hennig. The boss man is about to win with the figure four, but Wyndham is in for the DQ, but then David is there to the rescue. And it's Nash Giant to see us out. The commentary team not so subtly mock Giant's abilities during this one. Giant gets distracted by Hall, and as he chokeslams him, Nash grabs a wrench, used by Bischoff to put up the ring earlier, and uses it to get the three. Bischoff and crew do their usual gloating to end the show. And after all that, it's a small matter of our first pay-per-view of the year. Dan, do what we pay you for. <laughs> Run through the results, please. Chris Benoit defeated Mike Enos. Norman Smiley defeated Chavo Guerrero Jr. Fit Finley defeated Van Hammer. Bam Bam Bigelow defeated Raf. Lex Luger defeated Conan. Chris Jericho defeated Perry Satin in a loser must wear a dress match. Billy Kidman defeated Rey Mysterio, proving to Guerrero and Psychosis to defend his WCW Cruiserweight title. Rick and David Flair defeated Kurt Hennig and Barry Windham. And Goldberg defeated Scott Hall in a stun gun ladder match. Well, bonus points to you there, Dan, for giving us Norman Smiley. I think it's only you and uh, Bobby Heenan who actually say that, so uh, you're in good company at least. Eric, let's switch back to pay-per-view criticism mode now. What did you think of this show? This was, far and away, the best WCW, NWO sold-out pay-per-view in history. <laughs> yes, everybody, that's, that's where we are now. Go on, Dan. Follow that, if you can, or dare. Uh, the, the worst thing is I probably disagree with that statement. <laughs> <laughs> and we're back. Uh, I, I, I don't know if it was because I was just in a bad mood after what happened on that show. There you go. But yeah, I, I really did not enjoy the show at all. Uh, I'm pretty much close to you on this one, Mr. Welling. I quite liked Sold Out 98. I ordered it a jaw-dropping, nose-bleeding 6 out of 10. I wasn't on the Sold Out 1997 show, probably just as well. 
yeah, that's uh, <laughs> you've, you've heard enough, but we shall review the pay per view nonetheless. And oh, everybody, I'll tell you what, guess my mark, guess, guess what mark I'm going to give this one. And if you're right, I will award you a finger poke in the chest. There we go. That's what everybody I'm, wants these days. I'm worried. I'm worried that my proclamation is not going to be true by the time we actually talk about this. And I'm not going to edit it. <laughs> what's and all? What's and all? Okay, let's get to it and find out who is right. Not you, Eric. We open with a. <laughs> we open with a special report president, President Mr. Rick Flair. Special report. He hits all the right notes, but you can see in his eyes that he would really rather not be doing this. So, the third annual sold-out is indeed up and running from Charleston, West Virginia. As usual, though, WCW pay-per-views, we are not up and running with a match just yet. We see Goldberg in, oh yes, Dan, you'll like this one, in Star Dressing Room C. Yeah, yeah, yeah think about that one. Favouring his knee. Yes. It's another through-the-show Goldberg angle because that went so well last time. And we're still waiting to start as forgot Mike Enos here to set up the ri- Oh, he's actually competing on pay-per-view. Still, if anybody can, Benoit can. So yes, WCW's first match on pay-per-view this year is Chris Benoit against Mike Enos. No clean break in the corner for a while until Benoit stops that nonsense with a chop or two. He then has to sell some stomps and then a knockdown. And some posing. Okay, I think I get the picture here. Clubbing blows do him no favors either, so have some more chops instead, and then some proper stomps. Dragon screw leg whip, and the right person is finally in control here. He goes for the cross face, but Enos is actually allowed to convert it into a tilt-a-whirl backbreaker with a foot on the rope. Power slam for two, and now we hit the bear hug. Opening match. <laughs> Thankfully, Benoit grabs a sunset flip, but only for a two, and now we've got a nerve hold. Hey, nobody can accuse Enos of not stepping it up. Leg drop misses, and now we're back to the bear hog. This one is at least a bit shorter, but again, Enos cuts him off. Suplex by Enos, and now I'm getting just a little bit worried about this one. Benoit counters a slam for two, and can the tide please now turn? Ah, rolling Germans, and not before time. He goes for the diving headbutt and makes it. After a terrible clothesline, Benoit says, ah, fuck this, and just hooks on the cross face for the quick tap. Well, Eric, that one was a lot harder than it needed to be. <laughs> You know, for the second best NWO WCW show that show in history, it wasn't so bad. Um, I'm already regretting when I said it. Um, <laughs> this is exactly what we talked about at Starcade, in that you have all this depth of talent, and then you get on a pay per view, and the first hour is matches that belong on like Saturday night. Um, you realize Mike Enos has been wrestling since like 1988. And he looks like he's just gotten off the bus that they put him on to bring him from the power plant. In the- <laughs> um, Chris Benoit is one of the best wrestlers on the on earth. And Mike Enos could not be dragged to anything but an average match that should have been buried on Nitro. That's Chris Benoit, official podcast wrestler of the year for 1998. Yeah, not not from me, but still... I think more than anything, this shows that Mike Enos belongs far away from the opening match on a show that people paid extra money for. I think this is Mike Enos' first non-World War Three pay-per-view appearance since ooh, against the Steiners at Rumble 93. I was going to say Super Clash 3, maybe. <laughs> That's probably where he suited. So, everybody, we've only got until January 2005 until we see him again. I am already counting down the days. Dan. 
Well, we were, we were officially wrong last month, Rory, when we said that Chris Benoit can get good matches out of literally anyone. <laughs> still, uh, still, still better than RVD, though. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I thank you guys for giving me a very brief history lesson of um, Mike Enos' career because I, I literally hadn't heard of him until I started watching this pay-per-view and I was, oh yeah, he's in that random WCW tag tournament as well and I still forgot about him. Um, but yeah, whenever Benoit was in control, this match was actually, you know, obviously good. You know, those those chops are just sickening. I will never get tired of, of seeing them. And even a little little thing of Mikey Nos, just a little spit in Benoit. So Benoit says, fuck you, and spits at him twice just to make sure that he is that fucking awesome. But yeah, just every single time Enos was in control, it was utter garbage. Like that clothesline at the end of the match was complete and utter trash. <laughs> yep. And Benoit, said, as you said, Rory, Benoit just says, I'll sod this, I'm out of here, and just locks on the crossface with no transitions and just ends the match. Uh, and I'll get onto this later in the show, but this is just the first of many examples of WCW's booking of a pay-per-view just being backwards. I swear they just pick these names out of a hat, you know. I mean, Rory, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, carry on, carry on. I was getting a little feedback over here, but I pulled the my PW Almanac off the shelf here, and um, the main <laughs> event... Of, <laughs> Did I know you'd have that to hand? Carry on. The main event of Super Clash 4, which I don't think <laughs> televised, uh, on April 8th, 1990, um, the Trooper and Paul Diamond defeated... Mike Enos and Wayne Bloom, also known as the Destruction Crew, yeah. in a steel cage match in the main event of that 1990. Anyway, sorry, please continue. Who's the fucking trooper? Do I want to know the answer to that question? I don't know that he's even going to be in this in this book. Let's let come back to me on that. Yeah, go if you go through. Was the PWI 500 a thing in 1990? He might be lurking at number 499. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, I used to love the PWI top 500. You know, seeing the ice cream man getting in at 498 and people like that. I swear they made them up too. Yeah, this oh, was just... serious. He's the Patriot. Ah. Old Dell. Now I wish I really had never asked. <laughs> get, get, get well soon, Dell, by the way. Get well, get well soon. I don't really mean that. Yes, um, Chris Benoit versus Mike Enos then. Um, yeah, I don't really know why this was happening. It's one of those situations where you might as well just be Benoit off the show rather than have him wasting time with this klutz. As you say, Eric is just pure late 80s punch kick slam fodder. I've actually actually seen some people saying he's been having good matches on the C shows, but who watches them outside of Billy Johnson? So (laughs) an audience of one. If a Mike Enos slams somebody... Does it make a sound? Not if you're asking me. Yeah, the finish was just completely out of out of nowhere, and I don't blame Ben. While one second wouldn't surprise me if the match was actually scheduled to go another two or three minutes, but he thought, oh, "I'm not wasting my time with this fucking bomb. Have some of this. Let's move on." But remember, everybody, this was WCW's first pay-per-view match of 1999 on the best ever sold-out pay-per-view as well. Yeah. <laughs> second match is Norman Smiley I'm not doing the stupid fucking voice versus Chavo Guerrero Norman Smiley brings to the ring an urn containing Pepe's remains 
Yes, everybody, this is what we call pro wrestling. Charbo chases from the bell, but Norman trots away from danger until he tastes a couple of drop kicks and then a clothesline to the outside and follows that up with a slingshot crossbody. Back in for a springboard bulldog. That was very nice, too. He responds with a rather weaker crossbody the second time around and some strikes. Charbo gets levered into the buckle and put down for a clothesline, as we only get for now the little wiggle. Although we do also get a spinning body slam until the head scissors, which must like which is much like Norman's dancing straight out of 1978. Charbo escapes and gets an O'Connor roll for two, but hits knees from another top rope thingamy. Some kind of surfboard into another head scissors. See, this is the kind of thing I really should like, but for some reason I don't. More on that shortly. And when we get back up, we have a neck breaker for a two count. Another leg lock is counted into some smart twos for Charbo as it does a roll-up. Back elbow puts him down, and still we wait for the wiggle. Another surfboard for no real reason, and then he just stands up into a shin to the head. See what I mean? We take a while to set up a superplex, but eventually we get there, and both men are now down. Oh, now he's up, and there's the wiggle, and a pancake, and another back elbow for only two, and a face lock, and a sleeper, and a side suplex, and this is interminable, and a backdrop, and why is this still happening? Norman, though, has charged his finisher because he presses the A and B buttons to steal Charbo's, and it's the gory special. And then he smacks him on the ass. Charbo gets another flash two, then goes for the tornado DDT, but gets thrown off. Norman then chucks the remains from the urn into Charbo's face, and the chicken wing ends it. After Dan, count him 16 of your Earth Minutes. Yeah, I will be the first to admit that this match went on for much too long than it should have been. This this was a 10-minute match at most. Um, but I'm probably in the audience of one here, but I have a really bad guilty pleasure for Norman Smiley. Um, oh, I, I I really enjoyed his his work in this match. I'm, I'm not afraid to say it. Uh, I thought it was really good, really technically sound, um, charismatic, the crowd actually are over with his wiggle and yeah i i popped for the majority of his stuff in this match and i'm not afraid i'm not ashamed to say that he carried this match because chavo was just doing moves and norman smiley was doing actual thoughts behind what he was putting out in this ring and if they just give him if this was a 10 minute match this would have been in my opinion the best match on the card but it wasn't. It was an extra five minutes, and it definitely did start dragging. And yes, I was waiting for the finish to end, which was a real shame because I enjoyed a lot of this match. But again, we got 16 minutes of this, and it was too long. But I am all about the Norman Smiley. <laughs> oh, Eric, you're not going to stand for that, are you? Are you? For me, let me let me cut in with this, and then I'll answer your question. Uh, if you like dumb kind of humor like a uh, humorous undercard wrestling storylines this peppy deal is is awesome it's the best like three minutes on nitro and so props to smiley and chavo for feuding over a wooden horse um for me much like radiohead when i con norman smiley is somebody where and i consume their product and i objectively know that it's good and that there's something happening here that I should appreciate. And from some perspective, I do. I don't know if I'm smart enough or not nuanced enough of a thinker. I, I just can't, can't do it. So I see Norman Smiley doing these moves and doing this chain wrestling, and he's really, really good. And it just bores me to tears. 
So that is unfortunately what this match was. Very, very strong, objectively wrestled match that lost the crowd, which was still somehow hot after that first match. Um, and it just kind of just kind of bored me, even though it was good. And Dan, I can I can see your point. I just don't I don't see it with Norman. Radio had Jai beside. I'm pretty much with you on this one, Eric. <laughs> you know, now I'm let down, hanging around, crushed like a bug in the ground after that one. But uh, we'll move on. I'll play that underneath. I'll go back to what I said last month. Norman Smiley is a good wrestler. He's got a lot of wrestling ability. A lot of the things that I should really like in the ring, because I'm a, I'm a mat-based guy. I like leg locks and hammer locks and all that sort of thing and wrenching the arm and key locks and all that. I've, I'm I'm a sucker for that sort of stuff. I really am. And Norman is good at it. Make no mistake. And I just wonder if he was able to be that and just that, whether I would appreciate him a bit more. For me, the character stuff, he would probably argue with this point. I don't think he seems particularly comfortable doing it. It's almost the old WWF 1990 thing is everybody's got to have a gimmick. No? If Norman Smiley was just a wrestler, I think there would be a spot for him in World Championship Wrestling. They've got lots of people on the card who are, give or take, just wrestlers who do pretty much okay for themselves. And when he's here, he has to do this stupid dance and pronunciation of his name it doesn't sit easily with me so it's not all his fault but it makes my enjoyment of his matches diminish quite a lot and there was a lot to like in this match from a technical perspective it was way too long at 16 minutes Chavo's <sighs> Chavo's somebody I want to like a lot more than I do and conversely he's somebody I think has been given a rather silly gimmick and done fairly decent things with it man he can't be separated from his horse, okay? He, he, he's thrown himself into it, and I get a little bit of a kick out of it. <laughs> I'm not going to be churlish enough to say I believe that particular gimmick because people would start asking questions about me, but I can buy into it to a degree. With Norman, I can't. But then on the other side of the coin, would we be... Say this match was happening a year ago on pay-per-view when it probably would just be thrown out for nine or ten minutes and nobody would talk about it again. Is that what people want? Maybe it isn't. So it is a bit of a double-edged sword. I accept that. But I just can't quite buy Norman. That's Norman. Not Norman. Norman doing it. Sold out 1999 as a pay-per-view. Fit Finley is against the Van Hammer. <laughs> Fuck this company. Uh, right on cue. Some big strikes by the peace, Nick. Oh, God, more on that shortly. And a sort of slingshot under the ropes for a two. Finley then assumes control with some European uppercuts. Hard headshots to the buckles and another clothesline. Hammer is down to his knees and gets booted in the face. Big slam by Finley and he holds onto the trapezius for a bit. Hammer gets out of it and hits a jaw jacker, plus what I will charitably call rudimentary offense. He does a hilarious sell-off of Finley kick-out, but then the Belfast boy gets on a sleeper. Hammer throws him off again, and then a power slam for two. And a bit like Benoit earlier, Finley thinks, ah, what the hell, and just steps in with the rolling slam, or as Heenan calls it, the Irish cabbage roll, and the tombstone, 
for the sudden three. Eric Landstrom, do you wish to retract your previous comment? You still can, <laughs> but it's your last chance. I was just thinking that um, the undercard uh, needed a little bit of boost, like maybe Booker T and, and Raven or um, uh, this card needed a wrestling match, like maybe like Bret Hart versus Ric Flair. Um, so um, anyway, those are some sold out 98 references. Um, so uh, this is dumb. No, this is just, this is what we were. I don't know why I'm, I'm flabbergasted. Where's Booker T get him on the card. That's, that's, you know, the point of a pay-per-view isn't just to have a show. It's to have a show that people are willing to pay money for and put your best stars against your other best stars. And this is really ropey booking two, three, four months in a row by WCW basically just mortgaging the first half of a show to get its main event over. And then when the main event doesn't deliver, that's that's when it's a problem. So I, I, I am seriously and formally retracting after looking over my notes from this show um, and remembering that Ric Flair and Bret Hart were at least allowed to wrestle a match last year. Uh, the tapes don't lie, Eric. The tapes don't lie. Dan, he asked the question, why? Can you answer it? No, uh, no I can't answer it. Uh, this, this, honestly, for all that has happened this month with this company, this Fit Finley versus Van Hammer, Chris Benoit versus Mike Enos, is easily top three of my things that I got most angry about of this entire month. You've got Chris Benoit and Fit Finley on the same fucking card, well, and you like... didn't put them in a the match together. You said you get you put out two of the lowest scrubs on your entire roster to have matches with them. Why? And not only that, you have got not only Booker T and Raven and Bret Hart that uh, Eric's mentioned, but you've also got Buff Bagwell, Scott Steiner, Meng. All these guys that are like, if you, if you don't want to get the awesome, awesome workers on there for whatever reason, I don't understand it, but whatever. These guys are easily much more capable than Van Hammer and Mike Enos to have good matches or these passable, you know, two and a half star level work rate matches. But no, you had to get Van Hammer and Mike Enos on this fucking card. No point in it. You've wasted my time. You've wasted my money. Fuck this company. Well, the I thing know. is, and we're spending, I mean, all, as always, we're spending way too much time on the WCW undercard. But like, Finley won the match. This was an enhancement match for Finley. Yes. And he's somebody who shouldn't even be doing a job on a pay-per-view. And that's how low rent we're getting here with this card placement. Yep, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. There's nothing to say about this. And one, yeah, I never, I, you know, I almost feel like Stockholm Syndrome here. WCW have got me. I didn't even think that we could have had Finley versus Benoit here. And secondly, poor old Van Hammer, eh? You know, his first gimmick, he's a flying bee-wielding, you know, axe man in 1991. You know, lycra clad, spandex, all of that, and just when grunge has taken over. And now here we are in 1999, and his character is basically Homer Simpson's mother. He's just... <laughs> Talk about a man out of time and a man on pay-per-view. There's nothing else to say about this apart from at least we had the right results. Okay, this one could have been a contender. Roth versus Bam Bam Bigelow now. You get lots of circling for starters. Uh, the big blows follow not long after, which is good, with Roth getting the better of that exchange with a no-nonsense big boot. 
Uh, Bama collects his thoughts before getting back in, and then they miss a few moves, headbutt, elbow, etc. Roth with a face plant and then some hard chops. The boss is watching. Full arm dragon twist. Wahoo! And then a top rope clothesline by Roth scores a two. Bam Bam recovers with a stun gun and a snapmare and a chin lock. Up into a few recovery kicks by Roth, but Bigelow is too strong and gets a two count off a big slam. Chin lock again, and God, this was a long one. Roth decides to fight out of it, and that's a pretty good drop kick. Shoulder block, and this is a little bit more like it now. Bama recovers with a power slam for two. DDT for another two, and then there's the silly double clothesline spots that I hate so much. Up quickly this time, and now we go toe-to-toe. Not for long, though, as after Roth hits the post, he gets some very fond greetings from Astbury Park, and that'll be that. Eric, for me, there were hints of the big Hoss battle we really wanted here, but never quite ignited, in my opinion. 100%. 100% agree. Uh, this was a match that, as our old our, uh, you know, uh, leader, Mr. Bamber, and I would have raved about him like 94, although I wasn't on the show at that point, when you had your Vaders and your Bossmans and those types of things, just two big guys beating the hell out of each other for eight minutes or so. And that's what this could have been. And it never really did get in gear. Um, man, I feel like I feel like six months ago we were talking about when he was in ECW, how good Bam Bam looked and how, you know, his character was focused and he was moving well and he was having good matches. And it just seems like he just seems different all of a sudden. I, I don't think it's the bright lights of WCW. He just doesn't seem like he's quite where he was even six months ago. I don't know if he's injured or whatever, but man, he was gassed at the end of this pretty slow paced, relatively short match. And I'm just, he doesn't look, he doesn't look right. And I'm worried the WCW is going to see that too. And Bammer is just going to slip, slip down because he's a guy who I no bigger Bam Bam fan than me in like 93, 94, 95. Um, and here he just looks like a different guy, certainly than he did three or four years ago, and even more uh, alarmingly than he did even six months ago. So I don't know what's up with that, but that has to be part of that, the reason why this match really never clicked. Yeah, I think you're right. Bam Bam was never what you would call ripped, even at the best of times, but he still doesn't look in what you would describe with the very best intentions towards him of being in let's say, ring shape at the moment. And he's somebody who's been, you know, we've seen a lot of him over the last two months, but he doesn't quite look there for my liking. Dan, what did you think of this? I can't add much more to it than you two, really. I mean, horse matches aren't my thing, so it's always going to be a bit of a struggle for me to get into this kind of wrestling. And I felt like I was watching this match from afar, really. I, I was impressed by some of the stuff they were doing, but I never got engaged with it. Um, and more so with Raph, really, than, than Bam Bam. I, I, I did like some of his stuff, but he seemed to move quite... He never could transition his movements well. Like, he... I don't know, he just couldn't... It didn't flow, this match. It just felt like bits and pieces here and there, but never came together. Um, and again, as I said, this isn't really my style. So, generally, they have to go above and beyond to get me into hooked into these sorts of matches, and I just obviously they didn't. Um, so, yeah, a, another disappointing match on the card for me. And, and judging by what happened to Raph two weeks two weeks later after the show, it's fair to say that his his mini little push is, is a come to an abrupt end, which was a shame because I think there is something with him, but it's obviously gone. Yeah, well, Roth was done when Nash did a Nash 
in four and a half minutes two months ago, and he's been on fumes ever since, I'm afraid to say. They tried to reheat him, but, you know, third polish and all that. This match did have its moments, but they were few and far between. If this had been the eight to ten minutes of them just throwing bombs at each other, that they kind of hinted at when they had their brawl on the January 4th Nitro, then I think we could have been in business. But it was far too bitty, far too choppy. So Bam Bam was leading the match and didn't really know how to do so. Uh, There's two very long chin lock spots. I don't want to see two 300-pound guys you know, just holding each other around the neck. Just, just unload your entire arsenal at each other. And I say not everybody likes big man matches. I understand that, but you know, try and win some people round with, as our boy Lacey would say, big boy moves, no fucking about. Sadly here, there was lots of fucking about. And the only thing to report is that it's another defeat for Roth. And if it wasn't all over before, it's very all over now. And our next match is Conan versus Lex Luger, as Tony calls it, the backstabbing match. Lex has the mic first, and he is happy to let Conan walk. Indeed, we can do this the easy way or the hard way. Hmm, I've heard that somewhere before. Conan gives the answer you would expect and weighs in with plenty of punches and an inverted atomic drop. And then Luger takes an early breather. He waited out until K-Dog dumps him back in and runs him down again. Heenan says that Conan is a better kicker than a certain Minnesota Viking. Sorry if you're listening, Bob Colling. Then Luger hooks the rope on a neckbreaker. Stumps to the neck and shoulder by Luger and he soaks in the booze. Shot to the kidneys and again, we are on a slow burn on this one. Conan rallies with some head slams to the buckles, but that recovery doesn't last long. More focus on the back and another bloody bear hug. Conan escapes for his own spell outside, but Luger follows with more basic clubbering. Uh, K-Dog comes through with a snapmare and dropkick, and here comes Liz. Conan tries to get the sunrise on, but the first lady of wrestling blasts him in the eyes with what the commentators are very easily able to identify as black paint. Luger then gets him in the rack, and there's your match, Dan. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. The first thing I want to say is that Conan is over. He's really over, surprisingly so, considering like his general ability. So I, I kind of really want him to do better than this. But then I remember that he basically wrestles every single match at the level of his opponent. So whenever he's facing the unmotivated sloth that is Lex Luger, it's just always just going to be Dross. And it was Dross. Like the mat that looked clunky when Conan was on offense, it was sloppy when he was on offense, particularly in the finishing stretch. And whenever Luger's on offense, it is completely snoring juicing. Like if you if you lock on a bear hug, I'm already docking this match minus points. And he is so crap. Like I, I wanted to nominate him for the Wahoo McWarth last month. That's how much I hate Lex Luger right now. And he has no he, he is a fifth he's a giant fifth wheel in this entire nwo reformation and he's just wrestling conan it just it just bores me to tears take it eric oh i don't know if it was that bad um dan you and i are on the same page all day because i the only thing that i really took in about this thing that was Surprising to me, I didn't think these guys were going to have a good match. I don't think Conan's that great. I don't think Luger's. What do you call him? An unmotivated sloth. Yeah. And then 
the fifth wheel is the other thing you call them. So I'm just imagining like Lex Luger on the Chirons that they show with her name in the parentheses and little font above the, the name in big, the unmotivated slot, Lex Luger. Um, <laughs> it's, a t- it's a T-shirt waiting to happen, I tell you. If the Dungeon of Doom was still around, they'd probably try it. Um, yeah, this this meant it's so weird because Conan's over and then you, you don't have to be a good wrestler to be over and you, they just can't put you with guys who are also not great wrestlers because then you're really exposed, right? And I think the, 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 the greatest example that we see of this in, in recent history is Hogan, who's not a bad worker, but he's definitely improved when you put him in with better guys. And that helps him with his charisma stay over. And so... Ho- uh, take that on a much smaller scale with Conan and you pair him with guys that he can work with and, and have good matches with like, why not Bagwell instead of Luger in the spot? You know, I think those two would have a much better match together and it'll kind of raise both guys uh, up, but here you have Luger. So I don't know. It's weird that then, then after all of that, then Conan just jobs after being way more over than Luger is right now. And it just kind of shows that WCW doesn't really recognize I don't know. It's it's strange. This whole the whole dynamic of this match was strange because I think it was the wrong pairing, and I think they're really underselling what they have in Conan, which could, you know, be something to carry like a good mid card program. Heel territory, baby. Heel territory. And Conan, he's the wronged victim in all of this. So of course he does the job to Luger. Of course he does. Now I, I have my moments with heel Luger. His eighty nine run was pretty decent. His heel face tweener week to week run when he was teaming with Sting when he first came in 95, early 96. I enjoyed that too. No, the third time though isn't going to be a charm. Uh, unmotivated sloth is putting it quite kindly, to be honest. He offers nothing at the end of the century, absolutely nothing. Uh, his mic work is serviceable enough, I guess, but. He can't carry a match now. And Conan is not the sort of person to help him, as you guys have have suggested. He needs to be in there with somebody excellent to try to even come close to offering us something watchable. These two, in every single way, just not the right opponents for each other. And it showed. It was slow. It was just walking through the swimming pool, plodding. Bear hug after bear hug after chin lock after chin lock. Liz getting involved for the finish. Spray paint into the eyes. I mean, it's another one where you have to ask who was it at the back of the classroom who actually came up with that idea. It's just nothing. And I was so angry after what else happened on the 4th of January. I almost missed the Luger heel turn. And I sort of wish I was still missing it now, to be honest with you. Okay, here's an interesting one. Saturn versus Chris Jericho. Stipulation, the loser must wear a dress. Remember that. Scott Dickinson is the referee for this one. I'm sure that won't play into the finish one bit. Saturn with the first shot and Jericho bails out early. After some jawing, he takes the lead with some nifty arm work and a cool rolling headlock takedown, just like HBK used to make. Saturn blocks the second attempt, though, and brings the pain with a big swinging kick to the head. The Lionheart quickly escapes a sleeper and Saturn with some chops. For me, this one's a bit disjointed at the moment. Enseguri by Saturn and a springboard leg drop and there is our first near fall. Ralphus shows off the dress as Jericho hits a stun gun. Patented springboard dropkick puts Perry into the guardrail and then a nice diving crossbody. Crossbody. Stalling suplex back into the ring and there is the come on baby pin. One day that needs to get a win and yes, I'm still going to mention it. 
every month until it happens. <laughs> Rear chin lock and leg drop by CJ and another two. The crowd aren't feeling this one yet. Lion Salt hits knees and then he gets caught in a T-bone suplex after coming off the top rope. Some kind of face-first powerbomb that I don't think was actually the plan wins Saturday two. Then a slingshot sends the man from Winnipeg all the way to the outside. A love lovely top rope splash into the ring gets a close two. Standing switch into a series of pinning combinations and the German with a bridge exchange into some near falls. But again, though, the audience are not biting. Up top now, and Jericho sort of lands on his feet off a side superplex. Perry blocks the lion tamer and hauls Jericho into a cradle. The ref doesn't count, but instead guides Jericho on top, and then an actual fast count, 13 months after the fact, gets CJ the cheap win, so Saturn has to wear the dress. Here's a decent Heenan line. The last time I saw a bold woman in a dress, it was Oakland's sister. <laughs> Pause for effect. Eric! Now, you would think, as indeed I did going into this one, this was a classic mid-80s territory stipulation in which the heel would end up wearing the dress. But it looks like this was WCW, as they so often like to do, screwing the smarks. And the heel, who is leaving the company by all accounts in six months' time, actually goes over. WCW, huh? Yeah. This was a really... Yes. The stipulation was straight out of memphis and it's kind of haha funny boys wear dresses you know that that's something that whatever there's just a lot of weird things that we could get into that aren't for like a light-hearted wrestling podcast that are kind of weird if you think about it but so the loser has to wear a dress and then so you have a stipulation here and then they have a really good match this was probably the best match i'm looking through my notes here because the next yeah the 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 cruiserweight four-way was kind of a clusterfuck so this was probably the best match on the show. Um, I think these two had a nice, crisp wrestling match. I think that's Jericho's kind of standard hand now. Is I, I don't think he does anything poorly. He's not flashy. His charisma kind of carries him, but he's a good wrestler. And against a guy like Saturn, who is a, an above-average uh, in-ring guy, I think it came together and they had a nice match. Certainly not the first match these two have ever had either, so that helps. Um, <laughs> the storyline, so for... Just to recap, this Scott Dickinson, uh, Perry Saturn storyline, going back to, I think, December, um, Scott Dickinson and Perry Saturn have kind of been beefing. And in typical wrestling uh, uh, form, Scott Dickinson has since been assigned to every televised Perry Saturn match, um, despite the fact that they're they're feuding uh, with one another. What's all so the chance? Of course, he's the referee here. Um, and of course, he costs Saturn the match. And it's like, it's fine. It's whatever. At least it, at least it was a good match with a, an entertaining finish, if not an uncomfortable stipulation. That was a mouthful for a mid-card WCW feud. And a fine job you did. Dan? Yeah, I, I like this. Um, Saturn and Jericho are just two fine workers. And if you give them enough time, they will get a good match. And that's what we got. And noticing a theme for what I'm liking on this show, Jericho is just a hoot to me. And I probably will enjoy anything that he's put in. The comedy with him and Ralphus, like shouting help me to him, is brilliant. The fact that he is berating Scott Dickinson after he uh, loses, after he counts the thing and then doesn't go over immediately to give Saturn the dress. And then giving him the big old you know, Cheshire cat grin and the arm hug whenever he does is again great. And I 
By all accounts, Sphinx Satin actually wanted to be the dress wearer because it would mean that he can distinguish himself a little bit. So we can rag on WCW a little bit here, but if Satin's game for it and suggested it, then ultimately that's his decision. So yeah. I, I, I actually probably quite positive on this. Uh, it's one of the very few bright spots on this show. And I'd like to think that this is like chapter one of this little mini feud and we'll get a better match or a better program next month or maybe even uncensored. But again, I'm long-term thinking here and that's the worst thing I could possibly do with WCW. So we'll see. Maybe Rory, I realize I never answered your original question, which was why put Jericho over here? And my, my devious oh, yeah. thought was, yeah. you know, maybe they want to shine him up just a little bit more so that he can really put be put over by the guys the, the top or top guys, your Steiners and your Halls and stuff, uh, and kind of bury him as somebody who's non-competitive with those top stars and make him look even weaker. That's the only thing I could think of, was give him a last little polish before you feed him to the wolves. That sounds very petty, and therefore very WCW. That's going to happen for the next six months, isn't it? He'll be eating a lot of crow after going over Saturn. That's as good as it's going to get. Yeah, the match was good. No more than that, though. Again, as I've said about both these guys before, I think they're both... Okay, Saturn is a high-level two worker. Jericho is a low-level one. I think if you put those two together, I think it's probably not unfair to expect a little more than this. As I said, they're in the play-by-play. There were times where they didn't quite click. It was a little wonky at times. Some good stuff, but some stuff that looked just a little bit awkward and just slightly off from what I would ideally expect from these two still more good than bad i'm certainly not gonna gonna rag on it in the way i have other matches before it and other matches after it but if we do see this feud continue again which given the fact that saturn is the one wearing the dress and his character is going to want some sort of redemption for it then probably we will but i do hope we do and i think they are capable of really giving us a real you know mid upper three star match but yes you're right uh, dan you touched on it Saturn was rather pleased with the way this one turned out because he wants, again, I suppose in a way it's like Norman Smiley earlier, he is being given something to be noticed with. And I think he backstage is aware that in this company, you really need that. So you don't just get lost in the shuffle. Does it become, though, a self-fulfilling prophecy and you end up being typecast? Again, would Perry Saturn rather be seen as quality wrestler Perry Saturn or bold bloke who wears a dress Perry Saturn? It remains to be seen. Easily the best match we've had on the card so far. Was it usurped by this one? Let's find out. It's Kidman versus Rey Mysterio versus Psychosis versus Juventud Guerra for the Cruiserweight title. Four corners match, one fall to a finish, tags permitted. Remember all of that. Billy and Ray start us out after a handshake. Kidman with the first knockdown, but Ray with a superb flying head scissors. Backdrop, but Kidman lands on the apron for a lovely head scissors of his own. More leaps and flips end in a double crossbody, and the heel competitors come in with some stomps. After some more dodges, Ray tags in Psychosis, and Kidman does the same for Hoovy. They do fight each other. Smooth victory roll by Guerra and a swish reversal by Psychosis both get two. Big chops by the masked man, and then they hit a stalemate off a German suplex attempt or seven. The faces both refuse a tag, and then nail the bad guys after the fact. Swank sit out powerbomb by Kidman after Ray backdrops Hoovy and run a great crossbody to Psychosis for a two. Heel trip by Hooventude. Thank you, Hoovy, he says. Then a gourd buster by Psychosis for two. That was in English too. Close line then sends the champ out. 
JG with a backdrop, then Ray lands on top of his pal. P and G, as I've called them, then fight over who gets to hit an acai moonsault. I don't remember Power and Glory ever doing that. So the faces respond with a double stereo powerbomb from the apron to the floor. That's how you do it. Finally back in, and the faces give Hoovy a doomsday device, but Psychosis saves the pin. Stunning spot where Ray monkey flips Psychosis from the apron over the post to the floor. Then a somersault into a splash by Kidman, and now we are really cooking. Air Hoovy then takes out the guys on the outside, then Ray, then Ray dives bomb onto Kidman only. Uh-oh. Ray with a senton and Hoovy with the driver, but Psychosis with a super leg drop puts an end to that. A USA chant goes up. Oh, come on. As the reverse rider by Psychosis needs Kidman to make a save. Faceplant by Billy, now Ray breaks that up. Whew, punctuation, Rory, punctuation. Big spinning DDT by Ray gets two. Psychosis just tosses him under the ropes, then suicide dive onto the faces, lying down on the floor. Then he dashes back in to stop a Gawera flash pin. Now, I haven't finished yet. Everybody here has just forgotten about the tag rules, by the way. Hoovy calls for the driver, but Ray helps Kidman block it. Ray takes care of Psychosis with a top rope Rana. Then a shooting star pressed by Kidman, after waiting it out for a few seconds, to Psychosis gets him the sudden win. Ray, though, doesn't seem to mind all that much. At least not yet. I am going to get my breath back as I hand over to Dan. Particularly interested in your views on this one, Mr. Welling, as we liked so much the three-way match at the previous pay-per-view. This is how bad this show is because even the cruiserweights couldn't save it. <laughs> Eric, you said it earlier, and and Roy, I've mentioned it to you. The tags didn't matter, so why did they even start with them? It's entertaining what they're doing. You know, I like the fact that Hoovy and Psychosis are like trying to be like, no, no, you wrestle, and then Kidman and Ray tag them in, and like, ah, oh, ah, oh, damn it, you know, it's just slapstick comedy, and I enjoyed it, but then. It just breaks down. The rules don't matter. <laughs> and by the time we get into the closing stages of the matches, as amazing as the moves are and as great as the action is in the ring, we've got two illegal men pinning each other. We've got completely all over the place action. And by the point, you have no idea what's going on. And if this match had been a fatal four-way, like they had you know, previously and just added psychosis into the mix rather than um make it a tag kind of tag in tag out rules i would have loved this but it wasn't the fact that it was a tag in tag out match ruins the psychology of this entire match and i know psychology doesn't matter as much in cruiserweight wrestling as it does in normal you know north american style wrestling but it still does to some extent and normally i can let it go but i couldn't here because it was just all over the place and it just didn't make any sense. And if you've got to make some sense to actually make it work. And I feel so sorry for them because, again, this was WCW's booking team's fault. If they make this a fatal four-way and they just copied and pasted to a certain degree what they produced at Starcade and just added another man in there, we could have got something great. And we unfortunately didn't, which was a real, real shame. Because, like, as always, these guys worked so hard and some of the moves they pulled off in here spectacular but it didn't matter eric this isn't your you know, personal cup of tea style of match but um it's fair to say even then this should have been a more enjoyable one really now and 
like we talked about before, I can still recognize when there's a good version of something that I don't like versus, yeah. and this was not that either. And so, um, yeah, the Welling talked about the the stipulation, and gosh, these guys just really had, you know, weights tied to their tied to their boots with this tag stipulation that they just ended up shedding altogether. And the other thing is from a television presentation point of view, like the announcers on, on not so much Shivani, but him and, but Heenan especially and Tanae, uh, who's usually pretty good uh, even were um, all over the place on this show. And there, there were times, especially for Heenan, and unfortunately it's happening more frequently or he is just he's watching a different show from everybody else. And so when you have a match that has a stipulation like this and the announcers don't know what it is or they're saying oh it couldn't be that because then this and it just hasn't been produced well it hasn't been thought out and it just saddles it. So the match going on in the ring was saddled by the stipulation, the announcers were saddled by the stipulation to the extent that they bothered to care about this match. And then yeah, then it was just your review was really good. But as I've compared it to other matches before, you know, take a three-second breath or four-second pause between every sentence that you say with a cool spot. And that's kind of what this match was. There wasn't any transition. It was just kind of spot, spot, spot because of that dang stipulation. And then a finish out of nowhere. So, yeah, these guys all worked their asses off. They were saddled with uh, with nonsense. The announcers did them no favors. And they still probably had... The, the second best or the maybe the best match on on the show yeah my review made this one sound better than it was but then with this style of match it's always going to but that's why we break things down after the fact they were tied in knots by these stupid stipulations here and as so often with wcw just a mess of their own making they saw last month what three of these guys can do when they're allowed just to go out there plenty of time no constraints, no weights around their ankles. And they gave us what was my third favorite match of 1998. It's going to be a rough year if this one is in the top three for 1999. I shouldn't tempt fate, I guess, but uh, <laughs> I hope this one falls quite a long way down. The tags were stupid, meant there was no flow early on. And not only that, they worked the heel face thing far too closely. For this style of match. Sometimes it can work. But when you've got. Kidman and Ray. Who I suppose can pass for classic baby faces. Hoverto Guerra and Psychosis. In the United States. They can't. No, they, they can't. It's... Crowds don't really want to boo these guys. When they're in the ring. Because of the things they can do. So play up that strength. Just let them tear it up. Don't have them. Know, not doing tags and you know, not stopping at five and coming in for stomps. It's, that's not their game. Let them play their natural game, which is flying around the ring, popping crowds. Worry about the character stuff elsewhere. That's other places on the card. You can even tell stories on Nitro or God forbid Thunder if you really want to extend the character stuff. Don't hamper your best guys when it's not required. I do need to give some specifics specific props to mr mysterio here like every month he reinvents the wheel i just wish it had been in a better match that spot just imagine it a monkey flip where psychosis has stood on the apron and he is able to lever him all the way up over the ring post down to the floor it's another one of those where i just don't know how you can even learn 
the mechanics of it, let alone the aspect of carrying it out. And then going up to Psychosis backstage and saying, hey, I've got this great idea, mate. And P going, hey, sure, no problem. I trust you to do it. And it actually coming off. Like, if there is a contender for spot of the year, then that one is already going to be flying high in the top three. Yeah, they were pulled down by the silly stipulations and they didn't need to happen. It wasn't as if the first time we've seen these guys. We know what they can do. Why not just let them do it, for God's sake? A better man than I once said, fuck this company. And I think he might just be onto something. Two matches to go. And one of the blue ribboned ones for this particular pay-per-view. Ric Flair and his son David against Barry Windham and Kurt Hennig. Crazy Rick is in town for this one as he gets his ass into the ring as quick as he can, which is very literally so in his advanced years. He gets the mic and tells Hennig he had better wrestle or, and I quote, go to the WWF or some other joint. Again, David looks terrified like he did earlier. And then Windham wants to start the match against him. Rick isn't sure, but eventually relents. David goes for what for now we will call an amateur takedown, but he doesn't get very far. Lock up, then Wyndham takes him down. David with really wasn't David with what really wasn't a head scissors, but never mind. And now it is time for Daddy Dearest. No, David is back. Kurt Hennig wrestling himself here. It's just like all I can think of is just him flipping around in the in the training ring. This was so pathetic. Oh, the David tags back in. Wyndham fakes him out on a test of strength. I bet that was hard. But the young one with some chops and a hip toss, I've written here. Wyndham gathers his thoughts, and I can't say I blame him, then hits a body slam, but misses an elbow. Okay, Dad, now it's your turn. The old man punches we know and love to both men and a back body drop. Hennig in. Come on, Flair. You want to embarrass your whole family? But the dirtiest player in the game only gets rolled up by that. Hennig neck snap and and a chop to David. And an interesting moment where Rick gets whipped to the buckle, but he doesn't flip headfirst over the top, then run along the apron. Hey, it's just like a normal person would do. He falls to the outside. Big chops by Kurt and he cuts Rick off on the top rope. Now, that one doesn't work with a nature boy's playing face. Patented superplex by Wyndham, but only for two here. Recovery inverted atomic drop by Flair and a chop so hard it knocks him off his feet. Hennig breaks out the spinning toe hold of all things, and after a scrap in the corner, we get the flare flop. Again, wrong place for that, in my opinion. Figure four with Wyndham lending a hand, but the boss ain't about to give it up. After a tag, Bazza tries his own figure of four, but Flair counters for a cradle and the two. They both do the death cell for a while, and then Arn helps out with some shots to Kurt. That allows Rick to get Barry in the figure of four until Hennig scraps his way back in. Roll up for two after David gives Hennig a low blow. David gets the tag, but gets pummeled. Now you're going to see a Hennig plex, but instead Arn whacks him in the head with a tire iron. This allows David to fall on top for the three. Of course, this being WCW, no chance to celebrate though, as the NWO are in to wipe out the horsemen. And yes, even Hogan has turned up for this B-show. David actually goes for Hollywood, but <laughs> yeah, right. Rick gets handcuffed, David gets spray-painted, and today on commentary says it best. Who the hell is in charge here? As if we need to answer that one. Eric Landstrom. Well, this is the first time I've ever had to mute my microphone because of a match read. Um, so, taking this seriously, part of me really in, tried to enjoy this because it's like so old school Crockett or, um, or Mid-South or just one of those where it's like, oh, it's the star's son and they're up against the big you know, the big territory bullies. And that's totally what Hennig and Barry Windham 
come off as here, like territory, ter- territorial wrestling uh, heels. And so this was a, a nice little throwback in a show that needed something different. Um, nice try here. But then where I was lost was then, oh, David's actually going to do a fair bit of wrestling here. And it looks pretty bad. And I, Kurt Hennig wrestling himself, uh, Barry Windham wrestling himself um, or chasing a spider around a dark room at times. Um, <laughs> and poor Rick, he couldn't, Rick can't rescue this. Nobody can rescue this. You know, uh, storyline wise, it was fine. It was cool. And then I think the way the match old school finish with Hennig getting popped and then just pull it literally. I mean, you can see it. He pulled David. Flick. There was no way this was going to go South as Kurt Hennig saw it. Pulls him on top of him, takes the three count, bless his heart. Here's a couple extra you know, hundreds in your uh, match payoff, hopefully, uh, for doing the J-O-B to David Flair. And then it was fine there. Then the NWO came out and ruined the whole thing, as far as I see it. <laughs> and we've been there before. Uh, Dan, apparently David Flair doesn't actually want to be a pro wrestler. <laughs> Horror of horrors. He actually oh. wants to be- He actually wants to become a state trooper. I'm beginning to think he's probably got the right idea there. Mike Von Erich, oh no. <laughs> the ultimate I don't know, insult I can give to this whole match is that literally we could do better than David Flair. Like, he can't even do a hip toss on Barry Windham, one of the best veterans in the game right now. And I'd like to think that even us three, for no wrestling training between us, I assume, could do a better hip toss than David Flair, or deer in the headlights Flair, as I called him throughout my review. We are going to have to test out this particular supposition at some point as well. <sighs> uh, did, did they even practice this match? Like David Flair clearly had zero idea of what he was meant to be doing in the ring, apart from watching a couple of videotapes of his dad wrestling, you know, old matches with these two wrestlers. And like, I'm, all, I'm all for kind of the drama of having the president's son involved in angles, but there needs to be more clear direction about what this match is going to be laid out to. Like if this was with the other company and they had the touch of Pat involved in this, I think this could have worked, but there's nobody backstage in WCW that has that mind for the business. Or if they do, are being overshadowed by other people in the company so they can't do anything with this and even rick flair as even rick flair 1992 1991 probably couldn't be able to save this match and definitely not in 1999 is on paper should have been rick flair in a singles match with his son out of the out of the way you know in his corner and could have could have got involved in the finish somehow but then we would have got rick flair versus Kohenig again which you've already had to death for the last 18 months. And again, I'm tired of this. How many times do you have to see Ric Flair and Kurt Hennig in the ring together? It's the same old fuckers again. Uh, yeah, this, this was, uh, uh, and as Eric said, the NW come in and, as they always do, ruin everything. Fuck this company. But they had a three-star match on Raw in 1993. What could go wrong? That was a great match. I got higher than that. Anyway, uh, Tiger Jeet Singh, Tiger Ali Singh, 
Bill Watts, Eric Watts, and now Rick Flair, David Flair. On the topic of Eric Watts, uh, DDP is actually pulling backstage for him to be re-signed. <laughs> and he wonders why he is so unpopular backstage, DDP. I think we have the reason there. David Flair, I repeat, looked horrified. Every time he was called upon, before this match, during this match, and on the Nitros afterwards. Even when he was cutting Eric Bischoff's hair on the following Nitro. Deer in headlights doesn't come close. Uh, to say this guy has no screen presence is to put it very, very mildly. But I felt very, very sorry for him. Okay, The guy is not a wrestler. He doesn't want to be a wrestler. He just happens to be the son of the wrestler's wrestler. And as such, he needs to get involved in angles, storylines, and motherfucking matches. Now, there already is a younger Flair who is an amateur wrestler. Okay, <laughs> I don't even think they think about putting him in the ring yet, although he's, what, 10, 11 years old? So wouldn't put anything past this particular company. And this was, it just wasn't believable. You know, it wasn't booked to be believable. And Eric, you said it best. You know, Wyndham and Hennig were, were out and out wrestling themselves in there. Now, this was taking their own bumps working their own working their own holes i mean no like it's like you know how that everybody says oh chris ben walk can wrestle a broom yes this is like if everybody if the, if the broom was like oh any broom can wrestle david flair <laughs> and this was you know this was a broom with the bristles all fallen off and you can't actually pick the handle up without using heavy duty gloves i said i just felt so sorry for the guy i really really he, you can't blame him for this he probably thought he was doing what was asked of him. And it, it doesn't make Wyndham and Hennig look any good in losing to them, uh, interference or no interference. And this doesn't help Ric Flair either. Uh, I, he's getting ready to face Hulk Hogan. And yes, I say, I have no desire to see that match ever, ever again. But now he's getting beaten down with his son by the NWO. He looks stupid because he, on screen, advised his son not to get involved with the match. And once again, it is Ric Flair being, I'm going to use that word again, far too generous to let you-know-who get the better of him just one more time. Because that hasn't happened enough over the last five years. Remember an hour ago when I said it all comes back to what Hogan wants? Yeah, exactly. Hogan going over David Flair at Starcade this year. You heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> and make your own joke about who's going to be the broomstick in that one. Shall we get to the main event now? Yes, let's. It's Mike time and it's Scott Hall. Goldberg has a boo-boo on his knee because he wet his pants and slipped in it. I'm not sure that's actually possible, but I'll go with it for now. There will be no match tonight. Referee, raise my hand. But no, no, no. The music hits and it is indeed the man himself, complete with brace on his left knee. So then, let's finish up with Goldberg going after Scott Hall. Oh. In a ladder match, but with an extra stipulation, you climb the ladder to get to the stun gun and you only win the match after you zap your opponent with it. Ah, damn. Let's just do it, shall we? Shoves from Scott, but that ain't nothing compared to what the big fella can do. Hall hits the deck. Lock up and Goldberg, wings out Goldberg wins out again. Shoulder block and once more Bill takes charge off that. Slapped by Hall, but he just gets clotheslined down. Body slammed by BG, but he favours the knee in doing so. 
power slam. And same again. Kicks to the bad wheel by Hall and then wrenches on it for a while via the ropes and the ring post. They saunter towards the entryway. They both sort of just flop onto the prone ladder. I don't know what they were going for there. Goldberg limps around a bit and brings the ladder in, only for Hall to baseball slide it back into him. Goldberg gets dumped into the steps and does a... Well, I've written down here a deep but unconvincing blade job. Um, some sources say that was actually hard way. Hall sets up the ladder and then elbows Goldberg from a few runs down. Tony references Scott's experience in ladder matches. Hmm, which ones? Hall climbs again, but Bill follows from behind and stops him into a very gingy-looking backdrop suplex. Scott jabs him with the ladder, then throws him onto it back first. Tony is really overselling the brutality of this match as the bad guy has another go. Bill, though, pushes it down and Scott takes a weak bump into the ropes. They are both playing it very safe here. Hall gets whipped into the ladder and takes a gut shot himself. Ladder shots to the head and stomach and now he tries to climb. Dropkick to the ladder by Hall and whatever gave him that idea stops that. Hall ascends the wobbly ladder and then gets thrown onto the top rope sort of in a rather bletched spot. BG now has another attempt and here comes fucking Disco. He shoves Bill off and helps Hall up. He climbs and gets the taser, but as we said, that is not enough for the win just yet. He revs up the zap, but Bill blocks three attempts and hits a sidekick. The taser ends up on the outside, buried under the uh, under the ring curtain. Bill finds it, and now here we go. But after an age, he actually just throws it up in the air and hits Hall with a surprise spear. And then the jackhammer. He then waits a second age to use it, complete with a very entertaining production snafu I'll talk about shortly, and then Bam Bam appears. Goldberg uses the taser for the win, but the Bama beats him up straight away. Hall comes to ridiculously quickly as he just had bolts of electricity course through his body. Hmm, maybe it was nullified by something. And he zaps both men, that's Goldberg and Bam Bam, as the show ends very, very abruptly. Daniel, where do you put this one in our pantheon of pay-per-view ladder matches? Well, I think I can guess. Oh, riff, riff, you do surprise me. Tell us why. Because Goldberg in no way, shape or form should be involved in ladder matches. Good answer. And I think the longest match he's had is 10 minutes and that was with DDP who literally lays out every single little detail of his matches. Yep, great, great shout. Like you compare this to what we had at SummerSlam five months ago, which was by by definition our match of the year last year. Mm-hmm. With two very similarly built guys, with 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 Scott Hall, who's been involved in these matches before, and a guy who is definitely more of an athlete than a wrestler. And it's a pale comparison between that match and what Triple H and The Rock produced. It's slow, it's Plodding, the spots don't look they they don't look spectacular, but they're pulled off so badly that they are unsafe. And all those bumps that Scott Hall took off of that, for example, I really did feel for his safety in a oh god, this actually could legitimately put him out of action for a number of months because of the way he's falling. And that's just down to again the WCW booking committee putting these two men in a, in a match that they really should not be having. Goldberg should have, I don't know, obviously they wanted to have the stun gun involved in some way. And if what happened on 4th of January didn't happen, 
this match could have made sense. But because, again, as you said, it did happen. And why isn't Goldberg going after the two men in particular that wronged him on that night? Not Scott Hall, because Scott Hall, yes, cost him the belt at Starcade, but it ultimately, in the grand scheme of things now, is a third tier antagonist to Goldberg. So it doesn't make sense from a booking perspective. It doesn't make sense from a match stipulation perspective. And it really didn't make sense from an execution perspective. This uh, this match was against really sour notes of ending the show when all we needed was a Golbo squash and then just to give Scott Hall the zap to, to finish it. This This was a total disaster. Eric, give us the how and why. Uh, this company, can. this company was built on the backs of Harley Race and Ric Flair, and Dusty Rhodes, and Terry Funk, and Sting, Hulk Hogan, and then your main event of a show that you paid money to see, the the Disco Inferno, is the one uh, getting <laughs> the interference uh, spot. Um, yeah, no, this was not good. Uh, this this is irredeemably confusing and just dangerous like absolutely right 100 percent nail on the head this match looked off and it looked awkward because goldberg was doing a ladder match for real i think uh the spots were terrible that he would slam his neck into the ropes and just look bad and dangerous and just not a not a well thought out concept to put this guy in a ladder match i'm not making any any nuanced references here to anything that nobody could have not seen when they watched this match. It's just terrible. And then more interference, bam, bam's out again, disco Inferno still out there. And then, so you have Goldberg who was just six weeks ago, the biggest star in the company now feuding with Scott Hall, a guy who's been devalued tremendously since like 96, 97 and two underneath guys, Bigelow and disco Inferno. So Goldberg's cheapened uh, Hall. Any value Hall has is being cheapened, and it's not doing anything for Disco or Bam Bam. So it's like I talked about with the November to November show. You know, things that result result in a net negative uh, deserve the most criticism because doing nothing would have been better. And so that's that's my take of this main event. And why is Goldberg going after Hall? Can somebody answer that one for me? Other than the obvious. Well, it doesn't even make sense in kayfabe. The, the guy who, you know, cattle prodded him a month ago. You now, who fucking cares? Well, if they if, if they were gonna if they had concentrated storytelling that was gonna begin after, you know, you do that like on the nitro right after, and you have Goldberg versus Hall, and Goldberg runs through the NWO right, and then then here you have him, or yeah. you take it to Super Bowl, and then you have him and Nash, and then. Hogan can get involved and whatever go from there, but they don't do that. Things change on the fly. And so, oh, we still have Goldberg versus Hall because now Hogan's tied up with Flair. It just none of it makes any sense. There's no direction. Yeah. We've all talked about the booking far too much. And we're all absolutely right because NWO Hogan, you know, well, because, w's, because Hogan, there you go. What else needs to be said? So let's just try and talk about the mechanics of the match, if you can really call it that. Uh, I again, much like with David Flair earlier, I was feeling for these guys a bit. It's very unfair criticism about Hall, in my opinion, now when people look back at the two famed ladder matches. 
from WrestleMania 10 and SummerSlam 95. It has now been written into law that those matches were Shawn Michaels having a match with a ladder and another guy just happening to be there in the ring. Go back and watch those matches. That assertion is 100% false. Hall, Razor, more than holds up his end in both of those, okay? Here, however, he was fighting the ultimate losing battle. Because I'm going to let you into a bit of a secret here, guys. Bill Goldberg isn't quite on the level of Shawn Michaels' 94-95 as a worker. There's a little bit of air between the two. You really have to squint, but it is there. And just as that tiny, tiny piece of difference between them and worker quality makes all the difference. It really, really does. Now, Goldberg, as you say, Eric, he didn't know how to work this match at all. And I said in the blurb that they were playing it safe. I think that was probably Hall doing his best to try to rein Goldberg in because he was just taking unnecessary risks that didn't even work within the match context, just throwing himself onto the ladder and, say, by all accounts, actually smashing his head into the guardrail and cutting it on the top of his head. So I called it an unconvincing blade job because, you know, that's not where he banged his head on the steps, but apparently he actually whacked his head on the guardrail, the big goof, because sometimes Bill Goldberg just doesn't look trained he 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 still looks green you know when jericho called him greenberg four months ago i can see where he was coming from and again they weren't helped by the stupid stipulation there's no drama in somebody climbing a ladder to get the weapon if that isn't going to end the match i mean just think if the whole point of a ladder match was to get the belt and then you have to use it on your opponent i mean you wouldn't do that it just makes the taser look small time i didn't buy it in 91 uh, <laughs> And I don't buy it now. And I should mention the production snafu when Goldberg was waiting, 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 and waiting. Now, the camera actually cuts back to the curtain, and we don't see anybody there because that's where a certain Bam Bam Bigelow missed his cue. So, you know, it's almost as if the production team knew what was going to happen before the wrestlers did. Shock horror. And back again, made WCW. If they want to try to fight out of the fuck this company malaise, mistakes like that are not going to help them. And it was just a listless way to end the show with, once again, the the NWO guy going out on top. And it's only Scott Hall. He is, as you rightly say, he is third tier. If you absolutely have to have those two facing each other on pay-per-view at this point of the game, Goldberg should be already past him but it looks like he's going to continue feuding with him, and that makes Goldberg look like a complete pranit. Now, <laughs> if Bill Goldberg doesn't care about the people who really stole his title from him, who, you know, pinch it on the biggest pay-per-view of the year, have him miss a world title match because he's answering some trumped-up charge in some two-bit Atlanta police station, if he doesn't care about that, then why the fuck should I? Let alone paying... Thank you, Bob, for the privilege. NWO all the time. We said it back in September 1996, and here we are again. Is it ever, ever, ever going to change? I'm sure that is going to play into my mark for this show. Dan, let's have yours first and a review, please. Yeah, um... This pay-per-view is just a symptom of everything that has gone terribly wrong with WCW's booking team. Like this is such a badly booked show. Like, and it's not the wrestlers' fault that the action in this show was at 
best five or six out of ten. And we've all we've torn this show apart for the booking. And this is this is a booking grade of a show because it is so bad. I've used the words fuck this company so many times in this recording because I am so tired of how this company does their booking. Something needs to change if this company is ever going to get back to where it was even two and a half years ago. Because this show, if this show is what we're going to get for the rest of the year, there are going to be serious problems. And yeah, this this show is, if this is what we're going to carry on for the rest of the year, we're in, we're in danger here. I'm going to go whole hog and say two out of ten. Eric, the time has come. You know what I mean. <laughs> Um, thank you, sir. May I have another? Um, is, <laughs> is a preview. Um, this this show was was bad, and I I don't know why I have such a sour taste in my mouth for the '98 show, but there's no way. I think it might have just been the hangover from Starcade '97. So you know, plus the shot, plus the mem shows. The more that things change, the more they stay the same. I guess with WCW at the at the end of the year. So, you know, pretty sour off Starcade this year, too. But for whatever reason, this show didn't strike me as as offensive. But going back through it, all the things that we've talked about leading up to it with uh, the, the finger poke and the booking of that Nitro and just kind of the general directionless direction of this whole thing. And we go back and kind of break down this show more than me just kind of watching it uh, to for the first, you know, uh, impression going back through it. It's like, God damn, there are so many left turns here and needless, needless stuff like Dan said. And so uh, I, I'm not as, as off on it, but I think maybe a three out of 10 might capture my, my residual feelings here after going back through it again. Yeah. This is a three out of 10 show. Best sold out ever, everybody. Um, maybe it's the fact that I, can't really criticize but well, no i can really criticize wcw i'm going to for the rest of my life but um nobody else is going to pick up the slack on this particular podcast on wcw now i think i spooked dear old chris white for life when i gave him september 98 world championship wrestling <laughs> and he had to sit through all brawl and awarded it a grand two out of ten and we do do this thing on the show just to let a bit of light in our magic where we like to swap around every few months I'm going to need to beg, steal, and borrow to get anybody to do World Championship Wrestling if they don't pull their finger out over the next few months. All this is a very long-winded way of saying I too am with you, Eric, on a 3 out of 10. But with your reasons, Dan, as well, because it's hard to blame the talent a lot of the time in World Championship Wrestling because their roster is stacked with quality guys. It is booking that just lets them down. And it's the people who are doing the booking who want to let these guys down and they are allowed to do it time and time again because nobody, repeat, nobody either can stop them or most importantly of all, wants to stop them. So this event, mainly for the couple of good matches we had in it, ascends to a three out of ten. It's um, not the strongest start to the year. But hey, it was only the second worst sold out of all time. We are in Columbus, Ohio, or as Frankie Williams would call it, Columbus, Ohio, on the 18th, with the horsemen telling us what happened last night. 
Flair flips out backstage and then leaves them in attacking the NWO limousine, complete with camera safely inside, and now we go to the ring. Flair rambles a bit here, <laughs> but we get there in the end. At Super Brawl, he will wrestle my ass for the world title. Yes, his words. Hogan, you will have to kill me to keep me from killing you. Tonight though, it's Bischoff's turn to heed the words of the boss. He will even shave his own head if Eric beats him. Bischoff is not convinced, but offering the company back to him? That might sway him. But before he can speak, David storms out to take the match. Bischoff agrees, with the stips still in place. Jericho Booker sounds like my sort of jam, and they put together a fine TV match, which is won by Booker, clean as a sheet, with the missile dropkick. Hmm, make a note. Here's JJ. Scott Dickerson has been suspended for 30 days in light of his recent actions. He then wants to see the three men who were involved in a ladder match last night in a triangle match. Gene sits down with Ray. He kept the LWO shirt on because the red, white and green are his colours. And the mask will also stay on. And Lex, bring it on. So, Bischoff v David Flair is a thing. David hits him with a roll of coins and wins. Okay. Eric then gets his head shaved. As Larry puts it, Bischoff has aged 20 years before our eyes. <clears throat> Backstage, Jericho corners JJ to say that the contract stipulates Saturn has to wear a dress until further notice. Wasn't just at the pay-per-view. And now Conan is out. He actually tries to explain that he foresaw Nash and Luger going back with Hogan, but I am way past even attempting to be convinced by any explanation. They and the rest of the strawberries will have to pay toss my salad and peel my potatoes. Charming. The NWO end Meng Barbarian versus Duncan Enos, so I guess they are good for something. Nash says it's the end of the world as we know it, and he feels fine. Offer him solutions and offer him alternatives, and he'll decline. Oh, and Hogan accepts the flare match. If there was any doubt that Roth was more sinned against than sinning, it has been eliminated by him losing to Disco's Chartbuster. Hall or no hall, that's a burial. Saturn and Dress face Big Papa Pump. The recliner is good for the win after three arm drops. Lex is out. If Ray hands him his mask, he will call the match off. Scott chases Kimberly into the Nitro Girls locker room. He eventually gets led away, but let's just say he made the most of it. Psychosis against Hoovy next. This isn't one of Guerrero's best showings, and he is on the losing side too after a super gourd buster and guillotine leg drop. So it's Lex versus Ray. Mysterio gets to show some fire, so of course Nash quickly puts play to that with a sidewalk slam and a very unsafe looking jackknife. K-Dog chases them off. We finish with the triangle match and they cut a decent pace. Goldberg hits a double spear, but after the jackhammer on Hall, here they come again. Thankfully the horsemen even things up a bit and we close with Flair running after the limo. We close the month in Dallas with Vincent now wanting to be known as Vince and drinking raw eggs because of course we didn't get the joke the first time. The rest of the NWO cronies wait for the red and black to land by a private jet. They will sort it out, says Hogan. Oh, and Stevie puts on an NWO shirt. This is riveting stuff. Oh, and Disco beats Al Green. See? We cut to Bam Bam with a ladder. His one objective in WCW was to take out Goldberg, but for now though he has been distracted from that task by Scott Hall. He wants revenge for being zapped in a ladder match tonight. Bischoff is working the merchandise stall today, 
and he is being accused of shortchanging fans when he's there. Oh, this stuff is just so, so easy. Flair gets a big welcome, as ever. He makes a match for Super Brawl where Brett will defend the world title, nope, against somebody. And tonight Hogan is wrestling with two of his buddies against Flair, Benoit and Mongo. Now we have our ladder match. Bigelow does manage to grab the taser, but Disco hands one to Hall anyway. And then cue Goldberg. Double spear, but then Norton beats Bill down. Brett and his do-rag get an interview. Booker is a looser and should not be facing him tonight. Basic heel stuff from Hartier. I would say that it's not getting any better for him anytime soon. But hey, he does offer a title shot to El Dandy. Main Barbie versus Taylor and Finley. The faces of fear win comfortably. Saturn beats Norm with a DVD, whilst suspended referee Scott Dickinson looks on. Sorry Brett, but you are facing Booker, not El Dandy. And the Hitman does win with a belt shot. Gennaro heel, 101. Now Goldberg has to face Norton. Chuck Norris and John Claude Van Damme at ringside enjoyed this one. Flash gets far too much here, but Goldberg wins and wipes out the hangers on. So Hogan brings Nash and Steiner to join him for the main event. Hulk says that everybody in WCW is a target. Didn't we do all this two years ago? The horsemen tear into the ring and we're off right away. This one has a sort of 1995 clash vibe to it, and it really is quite watchable. Until Nash hits Flair with a loaded foam finger, provided to him by merch seller Bischoff for the DQ. Yes, I really did write that. And worse, I saw it. The NWO try to cut Flair's hair, but WCW types hop in to stop them. Now, if only somebody would do that in production meetings, we'd be laughing. You know, I don't know what Ric Flair's problem is, you know. You know, I've always been a jam-up guy. I've always been, I've always been a guy that's never ducked anything, anybody, anytime, anywhere. Now, Ric Flair, you know, this is, this is a case of a guy that's carrying around a grudge. He's had a grudge against me since I've come here, and, uh, you know, that's fine. He wants to throw me in a ring tonight with Booker T. Who is Booker T? Who is this guy to even have a match with me, let alone a non-title match, because he's a loser. He's not going to get a title shot. You can forget about that. Well, he is not a loser. You know he's that, He's a Brent. loser. Now, Booker T, I want to ask you a question. Have you got the guts to step in the ring with the excellence of execution tonight? Do you know that your life is on the line? Your career is on the line? All the little kids at home, they're going to watch me tear you up and break you in little pieces. Is that what you want? I'm sure that's what Ric Flair wants. Pete, well, I'll tell you one thing about Booker T. This man has held numerous titles in World Championship Wrestling, and there's a guy that we would be deserving of a chance at your United States title. Let me tell you, let me tell you about who deserves a shot at the United States Heavyweight Let's hear it. I'm the champion. I ought to know. You know, I've, I've been sizing up guys since I came to the WCW, and I think the one guy that stands out the most, the guy that I think has earned a title shot, El Dandy, I think you're a heck of a wrestler. You're a great technician in the ring, and you're a jam-up guy. Whoa. I don't see any Whoa. reason. Wait a minute. El Dandy has been wrestling in, in, in the cruiserweight division here. Please. He's a great wrestler. He's a great wrestler, but my goodness sakes, at 50 pounds Who difference. are you to, to, to doubt El Dandy? Because this guy's a serious professional. Well, let's talk about some serious how about contenders. The, how about hypnosis? Let's get through Psychosis? Psychosis? Whatever, whatever. He's a great wrestler, you know. You can say what you want. You can try to tear these guys down and take them down. Psychosis has also he's been a high flyer of the highest yes, magnitude. But he's this still guy's a, still a cruiser weight. 
Let's let's get okay, let's get some. How about Dean Malenko? I was going to give him a title shot. He was the big man. Oh. Wanted to injure me. Hey, come injure me now, you little punk. He's sitting at home with some kind of hokey injury. This is a real injury, Dean Malenko. Dean this Malenko. is like groin pull the likes you've never seen in your whole life. Well, he right now is nursing a very bad sprained ankle. Yeah. And as Ooh. far as that groin pull, you know people that compete in football and basketball. A lot of champions have to play hurt. Oh, yeah. You, so you're, what are you saying? I won't play hurt? I'll play hurt. I'm going to play hurt tonight. And I'm going to take this uh, Booker T and show exactly what I've said a minute ago. He doesn't deserve a title shot. And Ric Flair, you go ahead and bring up your grudge. You got some kind of a grudge on me. You can, you can try to force me into situations. You're going to put me in a, in a title match with whomever you want, whenever you want. That's fine, Ric Flair. That's fine, because you know why you're jealous of me? It's because I beat you. I beat you the day I came in, and I beat you every time I ever stepped in the ring with you, and you just got a grudge against me. That's all. Make no mistake about it. On February right? the 21st right? in Oakland, yeah, I'm right. you're going to be facing somebody, and that U.S. title will be on the line, Mr. Hart. Whatever. So, yes, we've got Flair Hogan to look forward to next month. I will be on that show. But um, I'm going to give myself a month to recover, and I'm going to say thank you very much to Dan Welling for joining me on this particular edition. Dan, it's going to stick with us for a long, long time, this one, is it not? Yeah, this is uh, going to go down long in the memory, but I have felt better talking about it. Cathartic, sometimes, you know, therapy sessions, it's good to let it all out, and it has felt a little good. Uh, it's good to talk, as a great man once said. Um, Dan? Where, where can people find you to talk about when they can maybe see you or hear you talking about uh, what you used to call it? Um, good wrestling. That's it. Yeah, that thing. Yeah, remember that. Uh, I'm normally on the WF show, so maybe I might come back and uh, and watch WrestleMania. That's down. That's bound to be good, right? <laughs> well, makes, makes notes. Makes notes. Carry on, Dan. Uh, yeah. Um, so we are now uploading brand new exclusive Patreon content, and I am. Generally, you can be found reviewing and live watching NXT takeovers. So I'm looking forward to the one in Phoenix that's just happened. And you can go and watch back our live watching of uh, NXT takeover War Games 2, which was an absolutely fantastic show, including a five-star match, in my opinion. So go and just go and whack down your hard-earned $5 a month, and you can listen to the, that good stuff as well. And if you're on Twitter, uh, I'm at Daniel86 if you want to catch me on there. You heard the man. Eric, we got through it somehow, some way, but we got through it. You know, on these on these historically heavy shows, I, I'm hopeful that we can provide some levity in our analysis. And I think we did that. A balance of analysis and um, I think gallows humor might not be too far from it. Yeah. Eric, <laughs> plug away, my friend. Oh, I don't I don't have anything to plug, just the the Patreon and um check that out there's a lot of good stuff on there uh, a lot of good ideas floating around too so that's just going to become more a uh, more and more robust source of content um and then i'm on twitter at modern day lawyer and dan uh, the nxt reviews are, are great Shayna baszler is like my favorite wrestler right now so really excited to hear what you guys have to say about that dan give us a Shayna baszler um uh, breakdown 19 years before you get the chance to do it in timeline so <laughs> Yeah, she's 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 good. Uh, don't won't call her my favorite woman wrestler currently right now. But the, the NXT roster is so stacked that if you don't like Shayna, if you 
if you're a fan of Shane Baszler, but there's so many other wrestlers out there that are awesome. So yeah, check it out. It's like you literally could watch NXT all the time, and it's amazing. Mm-hmm. There you go. And you can find it all on Patreon, guys. At Wrestling Twenty YRS forward slash. Uh, patreon.com forward slash wrestling 20 yrs it's been a long long show one dollar will get you all the early content when a show's edited you'll get it before the end of the month but as i say five dollars all the bonus content we've talked about watch alongs discussions all stuff we don't get a chance to talk about on the main show but again though i just want to make this make this perfectly clear to coin a phrase far too popular in the uk at the moment those are bonus shows We are the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast after all. That is our bread and butter. That is what we will always bring to you month after month. The real reason we are here, you might say, and these shows will always be free. Wouldn't even dream of charging you for some of these. But just a little bit extra, if you want to say thank you, we will give back to you the other way around as well. So every little does help. We will bring as much bonus content to you each and every month as we possibly can. So, yes, we are the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Wrestling20YRS, where you will see me at the helm. Or you can also join us on the Facebooks, if people still do that, where Mr. Chris Lacey, I believe, is in charge, cobwebs and all. You can also find me on what used to be called Pro Wrestling Message Boards. You can find me at the it's a Facebook page, no less. Our Vantage Point, where I'm mainly talking retro wrestling. Also check out their fantastic weekly retro podcast every Monday as well. You can find me at Scott Keith's Blogger Doom. You'll know it's me. Also, Bigelow34.proboards.com, which is run by our great friends at Place to Be Nation. A shout out to one of their brand new shows as well, which I listened to for the first time yesterday, their inaugural show, Talking WCW. And thanks to Tim Capel, Jennifer Smith and Greg Phillips for their very kind comments about our show in response. Three volumes again for you, just to recap. Volume one is the one where we look at World Wrestling Federation, Mick Foley's title win and the Royal Rumble pay-per-view. Volume three, guilty as charged, ECW. You can find us, of course, on all manner of what they call podcatcher apps these days. But if you're new to the show, as I know so many of you are after listening to our 98 review show, Oh boy, that was a fun one. Then you can dip back via Spotify, I would say, is the best way to do it. Go all the way back to August 1993. You can work your way through month by month. As Eric has so rightly said in the past, the format we use on this show where we do everything in time machine mode, these shows never date. And Eric, you can pretty much pick in anywhere you want and it is if it really is happening now, which is such a simple thing, but it's one of our main selling points. Would you not agree? Oh, it's great. You can... Sometimes I'm just curious about a brief period of time from a part that we've done, and I'll just go back and listen to it. And you can dive in, dive out, and it's it is really nice. Watch the shows or not, you can. It's really really cool. And I would just want to like to say a thank you to again everybody who has joined us over the last month or so. We really hope you stick with us. We're going to try and make this as interesting for you as possible, especially for the World Championship Wrestling events over the next uh, two and a bit years, because quality is going to be at a premium i think it's fair to say so hopefully our level of, our level of analysis our candor and i hope good humor gallows or not will help carry the day best we can again thank you for all your support as we embark on yet another year here so until next time from me from eric landstrom and dan welling fuck this company <laughs>